Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Greetings and welcome to Under Consultation, a podcast guide through the UK video game shows that aired in the aftermath of Games Master. And I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, a man and a legend. And I am your other co-host on this journey. In fact, I am the other co-host, the Ash, the Versus. And this, <laughs> and this, this. our Top Gear Gaming show was loaded to Facebook Watch on the 30th of July, 2021. Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is top of the video game charts. Ed Sheeran is celebrating his fourth week at the top of the pops with bad habits. And in fact, he's got seven more to go. And Marvel's Black Widow is top of the UK box office. I tell people my sister moved out west. You're a science teacher. Your husband, he renovates houses. You're thinking about moving, but you're gonna wait until the interest rates go down. That's not my story. Before I was an Avenger, I made mistakes. And a lot of enemies. He's called Science Taskmaster. He controls the Red Room. They're manipulated, fully conscious, but no choices. I should have come back for you. How many others are there? Enough. Where do you stand on the Black Widow movie? I think it got a lot of praise because it was one of those first movies back. And like it was the first MCU movie back on the big screen since Endgame because... You know, it's actually at the point of this show being out, we are sort of still in a pandemic. I'm not back in the studio yet. I'm not back in my office yet. I'm kind of nearing the point of going back to the office, but I'm still working from home at this point. I'd moved offices for my day job, but was still mostly working from home. Like when I was in the office, I was the only one in the office. And that's because my job requires me to access physical objects. Yeah. So 
yeah. and we could still do ours remotely so we were still home working we, we are on the verge of coming back so we come back SummerSlam weekend and that's like mid late August mid start of August I think so I'm really on the cusp of coming back mm. but the the point is that I would make is that it's because we was like the first MCU movie back after Endgame and the first movie back after the pandemic, a lot of people kind of like, yeah, it was great to be back. But I think if you watch it in hindsight, it is a perfectly fine three-star movie with a perfectly fine three-star Russian accent from Ray Winstone. Ray Winstone was not the acting highlight of that movie. <laughs> Scarlett Johansson was great. Yeah, Florence yeah. Pugh's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I love Johansson's portrayal of Natasha slash Black Widow all through the Marvel stuff. Was this movie hurt by the home release stuff? Yeah, because also immediately the moment you do a combined streaming and cinema premiere, there is kind of like convenience over other things, but you put a full HD 5.1 copy out there. So of course, like most movies that debuted on streaming during this time period, piracy was right through the roof. So if you didn't have Disney+, Plus, particularly if it's less outside your standard Western countries, it's going to be pirated way more because, mm. hey, you're not even going to see the back of anyone's head. It's just going to be crystal clear and, and perfect. I was fine with it. It had an amazing cast. I mean, David Harbour was in it. He's uh, also very good in it. Yeah, William Hurt was in it. And it's, it's a good Marvel movie, but it is definitely the B or C tier Marvel movies. And I don't mean that to be dismissive of the film in any way. It's just not an Avengers or uh, the movie that it was set after, Civil War. See, Civil War was a Captain America movie, but you could have also called it Avengers Civil War. It would have worked. Yeah, it's it's very much a Captain America movie. Like, Captain America was the central focus, but, you know, and Iron Man's the baddie. But because everyone's in it, it can easily be called an Avengers movie as well. And I think this... This was also a movie that we've been waiting for for a long time. You know, this was probably since phase one when she was introduced in Iron Man 2. People, when's the Black Widow movie? When's the Black Widow movie? And spoilers, they waited until after she was dead. And, you know, give us, give your hands enough final swan song as the character in her own movie. And also use it as a backdoor pilot for Yelena to become essentially the new Black Widow for a new generation. And then she's been in Hawkeye, which is awesome in Hawkeye as well. Mm. Which I, I, for me, is my it's still my favourite of the MCU TV shows. I am a big fan of Hawkeye. He gets a lot of shit, <laughs> but I, I, I love the portrayal of Hawkeye. I mean, I've loved Hawkeye since I grew up watching Mash, and it's just it's a real weird thing to go from being a surgeon to being a superhero. But I'm I'm on board. He's managed to make that leap pretty well, pretty considering well. as well he hasn't got any superpowers to do those leaps. He's not a superhero. He doesn't have a super suit. He's just a bit crazy and is very good with a bow and arrow. Yeah, he's just a lad, but a very good lad. Yeah. My wife really liked Black Widow. I thought it was okay. It, it's a fine little adventure. It's uh, For me, it's it's kind of saved by Florence Pugh. Um, I think she's like stellar in, in the movie. And I'm glad that she gets to do more after this as well. But I think people are looking back on Phase 4 now. And this is the start of Phase 4. With a lot of like... Eh, eh, mostly, mostly naff, some okay. I think Shang-Chi is like the best of, of the Phase 4 movies, mm. but a lot of them are sort of on the, the lower end of like, eh, eh, it was fine, or it, it was okay. The TV falls, I think Secret Invasion, I haven't actually seen it yet, but people have told me it's very bad. I've not watched any Marvel product of the Marvel Cinematic Universe where I've actually felt I've wasted my time, and that is my bar. 
I don't care whether it's a 10 hour miniseries or whether it's a two to three hour movie. As long as I watch it, get some enjoyment and don't think I could have been doing laundry or I could have been doing the washing up. I've got some enjoyment out of it. That's fine. Not everything has to be five stars. No, no three stars is still a good movie. When I was back in my old film review days and I, you know, was heavily during the, 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 the rise of the MCU is when I was at my most prolific as, as a film writer. I used to say that they're a, they're a three-star movie machine. Like, they, that's, what they do is they just churn out three-star movies. Occasionally, those three-star movies become four-star movies. And sometimes they become five-star movies. But the basic barometer, outside of a couple of raggy dolls that fall out, like Thor The Dark World, they are three-star movies. And lest we forget, for a long time, we had a lot of superhero attempts that were one-star movies. Absolutely. Like, you look at the 90s, and the 90s is full of bad superhero movies. The late 80s is full of bad superhero movies. Uh, Kids these days don't know how lucky they've got it. I mean, we almost had it lucky a lot earlier because, of course, a Black Widow movie was not exclusive to the Marvel Cinematic Universe because David Hayter, who wrote... Uh, the first two X-Men movies. Mm-hmm. He was working on a Black Widow movie as far back as 2004. I think yeah. it was around that time because Lionsgate had the rights. They dropped the rights. It went back to Marvel, but Hater remained. And what killed it was they had some movies coming out that actually had strong female leads, action heroes. We had the Tomb Raiders. We had the Kill Bills. And then he even said we had Blood Rain and Ultraviolet and the live-action adaptation of Aeon Flux. And... Aeon Flux opened badly, and three days after it opened, the studio said to Hater, we don't think it's the time to do this movie. We've had one bad experience. We're going to put it on the back burner. He he got the logic, but he also was just like, direct quote, I'd not only invested a lot of time in that movie, but I'd also named my daughter, who was born in that time period, Natasha, after the lead character in Black Widow. I named my daughter after a movie that I wasn't working on anymore. It's a horrible curse within Hollywood. I actually, I wrote about this way back when of, and it was when uh, they hadn't announced a Black Widow movie in phase two. I think it was around the time I wrote that, or it might have been when they announced it in phase three. I, I wrote this article uh, for, for a website I was writing for that was titled that Disney aren't sexist, they're scared. And there had been this stigma that female-led movies the, they don't work within cinema. It's why it took so long for a Wonder Woman movie to get made. They were developing Wonder Woman movies time and time and time and time again. Loads of people have been attached to Wonder Woman movies. Loads of people have written scripts. But every time they've gotten close to do one, Supergirl did badly. They don't work. You can't do a female-led movie. We're going to do a su- we're going to do a uh, a new Wonder Woman movie. Aeon Flux performs badly, but we can't do one. It's not the time to be doing one of these. Superman Returns didn't open properly. It's not the time to be doing this. You know, it's there's always this excuse as to why not to do them. I remember when I interviewed Stephen D'Souza, here you go, for the book, and he told me that... Check off your bingo card. <laughs> <laughs> he told me that the Tomb Raider movie had two things going against it. It's a video game movie, and it's a video game movie with a woman as its lead star. It had two things working against it. A woman? A woman, you say. And he told me that one of the things that hurt his draft of Tomb Raider is that he was writing it when Mystery Men came out, and Mystery Men had been bought with the thought that, well, Batman was a big hit in 89, this will be a big hit now because it's also a comic book movie not thinking that it is a small underground 
comic book that not many people know of. Hollywood was like, well, it's a comic book movie. It's going to do as well as Batman 89. And then it didn't, so it tanked. And Paramount said to him, was like, well, Tomb Raider will be the same thing. Because they think the video games and comic books, they're all the same thing. There is a fascinating... We'll, we'll move on to, uh, to Ed Sheeran or, or something else in a moment. But I do think there is a fascinating period of Marvel movies that... I don't think it's talked about, gets written about enough. Because obviously, you know, Marvel sold some rights in the 90s, but then, you know, had a fire sale, essentially, to save them from going into bankruptcy and sold off everything, you know, which now we've got X-Men. We had the nearly had the James Cameron Spider-Man movies in the early 90s. But throughout, like, the 90s, they were always working on a Thor movie, an Iron Man movie, a Black Widow movie. There were always these Marvel movies that were kind of pottering around. And then Fantastic uh, Four, multiple times. Fantastic Four, absolutely. Not just the Corman version. Yeah, and then in the early 2000s, you had even more of them when Sony had Thor and it had Iron Man. And it was basically until they got rid of those and they went back to Marvel that we got the start of Marvel Studios. But even within that, you've got Edgar Wright's Ant-Man which was supposed to come out pre-MCU and then just gets delayed and delayed and delayed through the MCU. And then, well, this movie now doesn't work because of the MCU, so we need to rework it. And Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish had their issues with, with that. And then we got the movie that we did do once Edgar and Joe left, but the, their skeleton is still there. They got story by credit on the movie because yeah. it's been the same story that they always wanted to do, which was Scott Lang's Tales to Astonish, How to Steal the Ant-Man. But still, Ed Sheeran. Yeah, I mean, I've got very little to say on Ed Sheeran. My wife likes him, um, and I think he's a, a he writes some perfectly fine little pop songs. You can see why, I, can, I get why he's popular. It's not particularly my cup of tea, but I get why he's popular. What might be your cup of tea is, uh, I mean, this song is absolutely fine. The music video for this is amazing because it is basically Ed Sheeran being a full-on glammed-up vampire in a hot pink suit. And I looked at it. I watched the music video to remind myself what the song was like. And as soon as it started, I'm like, well, that's Catford. The first shot, actually, I thought, is that the shopping precinct near me in Croydon where they also filmed um, Bandersnatch, the Black Mirror Mm. episode? And then it went on a bit and I'm like, no, that's Catford. I recognise that. It's a really Ellie Gibson will be very excited. <laughs> oh, it's, it's a very, very fun music video. And it's it's a good song. It's got a little bit Bronski beat in it. It's got a little bit of this. It's quite a bit different for him in many ways. But something recently I saw via Ed Sheeran, and it went viral last week, is he was playing Detroit. Hmm. And he decided to do a little cover, little cover of an Eminem song. And then Eminem bounced onto the stage. <laughs> and the crowd just explode. But also, you're sat there going, logically, I know, at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2022, Ed Sheeran and Eminem performed together. But this is still really, really weird. It's kind of the, the genius of Ed Sheeran, is that any time you put him together with an artist, it's, it's really, really weird. But it works so well. And he is clearly having the absolute time of his life. And for that, I cannot fault the dude. Because no, he has forged a career. He's doing well. His set in Detroit, like the actual staging, looked fantastic. Mm. I was distracted by that. I'm like, wow, that's a lot of... That's more screens than your average WrestleMania has. That's <laughs> a, it's a lot of visual going on for a guy with an acoustic guitar. Yeah, yeah. It's... it's yeah, I, I think he's probably fine. He ends up on a lot of our joint playlists that my wife and I have when we're in the car. So, you know, like Castle on the Hill will, will be on the, the playlist or a couple of other Ed Sheeran tracks. So I know... I, I know more of his stuff because through my wife than actually listening to it myself, but I've I've got nothing but respect for the the work that he's done. It's just it's not always my 
my cup of, my cup of coffee. No, but it was a lot of people's cup of coffee or tea because number one in 28 countries. As I mentioned at the top of the show, this song is number one for ages. 11 weeks. It's like wet, wet, wet all over again. I mean, even in America, which is, you know, it he does well there, but he is still kind of like, particularly at this time, not peak Sheeran mm. in America. It made number two in the Billboard Hot 100. That's a fairly major deal for a British artist. Absolutely is, yeah. Just a couple of bit of TV notes that I wanted to bring up, because it's all aired actually 29th of July, uh, are the two that I've picked out here. I did kind of go through, and a lot of them are like, you know, it's all depressing stuff. It's, it's the launch of GB News, and it's all it's like, oof, man, I don't want to bring any of this up. Just what we needed after the pandemic and <laughs> lockdown. It's like, well, here's GB News. If anything's going to get you out of the house, it'll be that. Yeah, and it, that's almost like every single entry is like, and then this controversial thing was said. And then this guy was like, oh, man, this is depressing. But on July 29th, X Factor got axed. Hooray! And on the exact same day, the BBC confirmed that Jodie Whittaker would be leaving Doctor Who in 2022, while Chris Chipnell, is that his name? Chip- yep, Chipnell, will step down as the programme's writer and showrunner. Whittaker's exit will come in the autumn of 2022, following a trio of special episodes with a final episode part of the BBC's Centenary Celebrations. Or centenary. Ce- centenary Celebrations. Big word. Yeah, it is a big word with, with letters in there that feel like they shouldn't be in there. And finally, the star of the hit TV show, Doctor Who, Jodie Whittaker, is to leave the programme next year. Seen here with some of the cast, she became the first woman to play the time-travelling Doctor when she joined the long-running show in 2017. When she was first cast in the role, it caused much online debate, but last year she was voted the show's second most popular Doctor since the series started in 1963. Her replacement hasn't been named. But yeah, I thought I would give the floor to you on this one as as our the Whovian in the room. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, there's only two of us, unless like one of your <laughs> unless one of your co-workers is hiding behind the clothes rack, and and even then they wouldn't be. We've got a number of Doctor Who fans. Listen, Jodie Whittaker did not have the best run as the Doctor. There was a number of things at play. One of which was the showrunner was kind of crap, and even when he wasn't crap, a lot of his production cycle fell during the pandemic. That's not going to be easy for anyone. He had this big story arc for one of his last seasons and they had to cut two or three episodes because of the pandemic. Unfortunately, they cut them partway through filming. So even what could have been okay suddenly felt even more rushed. I thought Jodie Whittaker was a great choice for the Doctor. I think she would have been a lot better under a different showrunner. I'm sad that we don't get to see her under Russell T. Davis, who's returning, or, or anyone else. I hope at some point she returns and does some audio books, uh, some big Finnish audio, full cast audio adventures, because maybe then, like a lot of the 80s doctors, like Peter Davison, Sylvester McCoy, Colin Baker, like Paul McGann, who only got one TV adventure, they get to spread their wings and have a broader series of adventures in the audio form. I love Jodie as the doctor. I loved a lot of the things they did try and do. I love Bradley Walsh. I love them having an older figure as a companion. I thought that was a lovely touch. And I was happy and sad when this was announced. I was happy because Chibnall was stepping down, and I think that was the right thing. I was sad because Jodie was also going, and they had apparently made a pact to go together. I was also, I guess, relieved because Jodie got a lot of hate. Mm-hmm. Because, oh no, a woman. A woman. Yeah. And also multiple women playing the Doctor because of various plot points they did. And I hope our incoming Doctor, after David Tennant returns uh, shooty, is um, 
I hope he does okay mm. because there are a lot of people who have opinions on what Doctor Who should be. And there are people that haven't actually watched Doctor Who since the 1970s. And even them forget that Doctor Who has always been pretty woke. So you, what you're saying is it's a lot like those people who had some very specific thoughts of what Games Master should be when it comes back in 2021, but hadn't actually re-watched the show since the 90s. Or Star Trek, or, or, yeah. who apparently never watched it in the 60s because they've forgotten exactly how goddamn woke that is. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's really it's people who've missed the point. It's like people who listen to Rage Against the Machine not realising what the machine is. Why did you have to be political? Exactly, yeah. I can't believe Rage Against the Machine went political. It's like, who do you think they were raging against? I mean, we stay fairly apolitical on this podcast, but if you haven't picked up what our politics is by this point, <laughs> you really haven't been fucking paying attention. So on to Top Gear Gaming Show. I This kind of got added in quite late to our lineup of shows that we wanted to watch. And I, I just suddenly remembered it when we was kind of going through and like, you know, I, I wrote up a list of here are the shows that we could cover in the aftermath of Games Master before we get to Games Master. And all of a sudden I had this thing was like, hang on, wasn't there like a Top Gear thing? And the only reason I knew that there was a Top Gear thing is because Simon Miller was on an episode, the episode that we're going to be talking about today, and he'd shared it on his social media. And I was like, oh, this is a bit of fun. This is a bit like, you know, I, I get what they're going for here. It's, it's a YouTube show, but it's been done by the BBC with the Top Gear license. And I think and we sort of touched upon this in the Video Game Nation episode and a little bit in the Go 8-Bit episode. I mean, we did also mention it when we spoke with Mike from Outside Xbox That's before. It, yes. It's an interesting period that we're looking at now because when we were looking at Thumb Bandits, Bits, Ultimate Gamer, even Brooker's show, uh, Gameswipe, internet gaming or YouTube gaming or YouTube gaming shows were different. Like Twitch wasn't really as big as it is now or even in this point here as it was in 2009 i know twitch was around in 2009 but people's attitude to watching games being played is very different here in 2021 than it was in 2005 or 2009 so what we're looking at now are tv shows and tv networks still trying to do tv content but working out how that looks and how that feels and i think we're going to see a lot of that when we get to the three episodes of games master airing on YouTube first before going on to E4. Because what we're looking at here is a Facebook Watch series being done by the BBC with the Top Gear branding. But this is a Facebook Watch show. This is a digital first and digital only yeah. show for the, the Top Gear brands. I was definitely aware of it. I was aware of it before we spoke with Mike Chanel when he uh, joined us for the, um, the Virtual Fighter the Virtual Fighter episode. Tetsujin. 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 I think I had watched some of it, but not much of it because it was on Facebook. Now, it's on YouTube now because it got a, a, any exclusivity windows that ended or maybe they just assumed Facebook wouldn't notice and they just put it on the YouTube channel. So you can go and find this without having to have Facebook. And that's great. I don't watch Top Gear anymore. And I'm not one of these people that went, oh, you know, no Hammond, no May, no Clarkson, whoa, PC gone mad, not going to watch this anymore. I did enjoy watching The Three Buffoons in the same way that I kind of enjoy watching people run into glass doors that are closed. Because yeah. it was kind of like, it was, it was funny. And just the entire process of how they got fired or how, off, how long Clarkson's behaviour was tolerated... It just kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. And so I'm just like, ah, you know what? Yeah. I'm 
And all the best luck in the world to those lads because it's a difficult thing to follow because you're immediately, like Jodie Whittaker, you've immediately got a hostile audience that don't want you there. It's the point that I, I made about the, the GoldenEye game that we were talking about you know, a few episodes back, which is the second you call your video game GoldenEye, you are setting yourself up for comparisons to an N64 classic. Even if that classic hasn't aged well, in people's minds, it's perfect. So you've got big shoes to fill. And I think that the, the problem they had with Top Gear when they relaunched it with a new cast is that they thought, well, any three buggers could do this. Even if they're not friends, we can just put them in the exact same scenarios and it will still be the same content. Kind of missing the point that Hammond, May and Clarkson are genuine friends. They but know each other they, well. They know each That's other well. That's probably more accurate. Yeah, and have worked together for years yeah. as opposed to just getting three random people and being like, you're friends now. Go and have friendly banter with one another. Because what you then get is just forced friendly banter and it doesn't work as well. I mean, it basically, with the uh, the trio from, I guess, like classic Top Gear, it took them a long journey to get to the point where yeah. it got fired. It's even weird as well because like, it's classic because it's not even classic Top Gear. Like for me, yeah, classic true. Top Gear classic is... Classic Top is, Gear is half an hour on Thursdays before Red Dwarf. Exactly, yeah. Like that's, that's my memory of Top Gear. Is the, that's the Top Gear my dad watched before yeah, yeah, my dad same. watched the... The new version of Top Gear. Top Gear 2.0. So hang on. So we've got classic Top Gear. Then we've got classic new Top Gear. <laughs> and then we've got new, new Top Gear. Yeah. Top Top Gear 2000, if you will. More, <laughs> or, less, more or less what the stench of it had on it. <laughs> Funny enough, actually, you know, my friend uh, who works at the BBC recently was going to move into the Top Gear online team. And he was going to like, he works in sort of videography stuff for them. And he was going to move. He's actually moving into a different department now. But they are still actively doing Top Gear video content or Top Gear Online. I mean, it's always existed on multiple levels as a brand, because even going back to the old, old Top Gear, you had Top Gear, the TV show, and you had Top Gear, the magazine. And now, of course, while I think there still is Top Gear magazine, there is also Top Gear website. And Top Gear website, while connected to the TV show and the magazine, will also produce its own individual content, which is how we get to Top Gear gaming. I think there are a lot of people that probably watch a TV show and have no concept that the rest of this exists. They're just, they're oblivious. They don't know. Much like I imagine with your day job, there are people that watch the video content that you put out and have never visited brandname.com. Yeah. Or have, you know, have heard this podcast that, that I do and it's everything. And he, actually, there are people who probably watch a lot of my content that don't know that I do other wrestling content on a different channel. Much like there are people who probably watch that content on a different channel that don't know that I do other wrestling long form discussion content on this channel over here. I met a listener this past weekend. I met a couple of them at the Digitizer 30th anniversary weekend lovely stuff and i met someone that has listened to us talk and is a fan of wrestling but i said do you want to ever watch wrestle talk because i was talking specifically about something you did mm. and they're like no <laughs> i'm just like so they listen you know who you are you listen to this you watch wrestling but you don't watch his day job which is fine i wouldn't listen to me talk about wrestling either weirdly i do <laughs> the only problem is i start talking back because i'm like i'm having a conversation with my mate luke oh wait no this is someone so, else this is a different type of conversation <laughs> but i i get why they tried this with top gear gaming it, it feels like it's a weird thing but you know there's a lot of driving based video games and i feel like you look at it and you think there's a crossover audience and i get this because a few years back we had our wrestling thing and we tried to launch a video game channel 
It was a video game and movie channel. We now know why it failed. It's because it was too broad of an idea and because we were trying to serve too many fandoms, like it didn't find any. So it just sort of, it, it kind of withered and died, unfortunately. But we looked at the content that we were making and we were like, we make a lot of video game references and there are people that get those video game references. Video gaming's a massive thing. Well, if we just take our sort of branding and put it over into the video game thing, that'll work, right? And as it turns out, it didn't. There actually wasn't as much of a crossover audience as we thought. And then, you know, you look at the Top Gear YouTube channel and Top Gear video clips get like 3 million views. You know, they get like in the millions of views. Whereas the Top Gear gaming shows, 30,000. It is really small fry in sort of the big, big frying pan of Top Gear gaming. It is a small baked bean that is in the corner. Do you think that if this hadn't been a Facebook first, if this had just gone straight to YouTube and received a certain amount of oomph on YouTube, that it would have actually done better? I, I Maybe, but I think maybe that it's just not as much of a crossover audience between mm. people who watch Top Gear and people who play video games about cars. I, I, maybe there's just not as much of a crossover audience as that. But clearly they think there is because they're still doing the website. So they're still trying it. I mean, we've got a lot of kind of like ideas that we're carrying forth. And maybe we... We shouldn't dive into it too much because we've got an episode to talk about. But also, spoiler, we've got a guest later. We do, yeah. I, it, it's something we've talked to before, but we've still got a guest later. <laughs> I mean, you'll see in the episode title, his name is there. So Yeah, it's Mike. Yeah, it's Mike. Yeah, 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 yeah. you know it's Mike. Yeah. yeah, But Mike will be here and he'll be able to talk us through like you know how the show came together and, and things like that. Because like press releases they wrote for this, they kind of talk about how Mike is, well, they can describe him as Top Gear's own video game opinion haver. So like he is part already of the, the Top Gear family. And Julia's been brought in because she's a video game journalist with her own YouTube background. And they think that she's a very good presence on the show. And in, quite frankly, she is. I really, really like Julia Hardy, not only in Top Gear, but just in general, but also has ties to another company that we've already spoken about, worked for Jinx. She certainly did. Because it was one of those things when I was talking to Adam, the director of Video Game Nation, when I, I was chatting with him down the pub a few weeks back, and I mentioned we were doing Top Gear Gaming. And he went, oh, Julia's show. Yeah. And I went, yeah, yeah, Julia did it. He was like, yeah, yeah, they were really, really great on that thing with Mike. Also ties to our core subject matter because contributed a number of articles to magazines and newspapers, including mm, the Sunday Telegraph. That's fair enough. But Games Master Magazine. Yeah, yeah. They wrote for Games Master Magazine. It's, it's one of those one of things like going through like their Wikipedia page and seeing like, a, you know, I was like, oh, jinx. And then you scroll a couple of lines later. Oh, look, there's Games Master Magazine. Uh, this actually, I don't think, features on uh, the Wikipedia page. It sort of ends a little bit earlier than that. Mm. But like, you know, they weren't part of the original version of Video Game Nation, the Simon Longden years before it became the show that it became with Adam directed. Yeah, I mean, it has worked on a number of different things as well. Hosted um, a podcast series with Eva Wilson as well. So it's very well connected to a lot of the things we've talked about recently and is a lovely presence online in general. It is amazing how small of a circle the uh, video game world is because, you know, the first guest on this show, on Top Gear Gaming Show, was Gav Murphy, who also featured on Video Game Nation and has been sort of part of this circle for a while. And after a while, you're like, a lot of the same names tend to crop up here. I'm amazed none of them ended up on Games Master. I, I'm amazed that none of them did. I do wonder, though, how many of them actually auditioned. Or approached. And or asked. approached. Yeah, I mean, we already know 
a couple of names in our head of people that were approached and or auditioned, but it's not our story to tell, so we won't mention them. So I do wonder, it's like, who who else was out there? I'd be fascinated to know. It's why I'm really looking forward to talking, you know, about the new Games Master mm. again and seeing what other information shakes loose from the tree. Because we should know as well here, July 2021, and I think some people might misremember this because I certainly misremembered this. July 2021, we are actually only a handful of months away from Games Master being back on our screens. I can confirm we spoke with Kian just a few days after this aired on the 2nd of August. So initial contact had already been made. We'd already, I think, banded a few messages back and forth. But we were just a few days from having a call with Kian, which was literally hours before their first production meeting. Well, we, we must have mentioned this show on that call then, that Top Gear are doing an online thing. I mean, I know we talked I w- about... I watched it a couple of days beforehand. Yeah, I, I mean, I know we talked about the... Um, I know we talked about the host. I mean, you know, Mike, along with the other members of Outside Xbox, the people we held up as like, this... This is this you know this is what a presenting team looks like for a new games master. You know, <laughs> these are like, people we like. Yeah, these are people we like. Uh, I or, definitely would have said Gav. <laughs> like, we're looking at Gav Murphy. He's great. Yeah, it's so crazy because only like what a few months later we would be interviewing people involved in new games master. We would be going to the taping, and yet here is the BBC doing something that is like as niche as games master is. And I'm going to be blunt: it is niche at this point because a lot of gamers exist online, and we know that whatever its pros and cons games master on e4 didn't find the mainstream audience it was a tough sell but here's something that the bbc are doing and going well what if we did something a bit like games master but we made it even more niche yeah because it's it's a niche within a niche and nicheception and i I actually watched the, the the gav murphy episode again um sort of you know in preparation for watching this and it is funny sort of how you know how heavily car focused it is like the opening chat they have is just the three of them talking about Gav's Peugeot 206 that he had when he was, you know, a, a first time driver and, you know, him trying to buy a new one now. How are you with car knowledge? Are you, are you a car guy? Don't or just rub a... your hands together like yeah, a weird yeah. Machiavellian. Generally, I've been trying to rebuy my first ever car, which is a Peugeot. That's amazing. Yeah, Peugeot 309. That's my car knowledge, Peugeot 309s. My dad bought my Peugeot 309 for £120 when I was 17, right? Your safety was not worth any more. Absolutely not, no. <laughs> But do you know how much Peugeot 309s go for now? Uh, I'd say they they can't have appreciated <laughs> yeah. that much. Maybe a, a grand? They are going for £20,000. off. I don't know what? what. Why? It's not my one. I wrote my one off. But <laughs> Wait, <this is> like <laughs> that another, sounds like another story another that we need to go over. But a very fun challenge that they do is driving a taxi through Watchdog Legion from Buckingham Palace to Brixton in the shortest fare possible. Amazing. So, so they had a black cab in the studio running a fare to be like, this is how much, you know, this is how long you've been doing it for. And you can't use GPS, so you just have to use your knowledge of London. The knowledge. The knowledge. To get right. <laughs> and Gav's whole point is like, I wasn't even born in this country. Like, you know, if this was Caerphilly, I'd be fine. But I'm, I'm stuck in London here. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. If you could take, like, one item from Mario Kart and put it into Formula One, what would you pick and why? A uh, green shell, because the red shell's a bit too easy. Blue shell's way too easy, but you need some real skill to hit someone with a green shell, so green shell. And you can tell that this is a digital only show i keep going to call it digital first because that's what they kept calling games master was like it's digital first this is digital only is they do what we do on our youtube shows which is you have the first five-ish seconds of the show a funny clip from the show with subtitles on it and the reason you do that is because if people are scrolling through the feed and it starts auto playing it doesn't have any audio on it so you need to have those subtitles there for people who are just scrolling through see what you're talking about oh talking about red shells and green shells in, in F1, I'll click the unmute button and I'll watch the whole video. We do it on YouTube because YouTube started doing it about a year or so ago that if you're on the homepage on the, the app, it will just start auto-playing videos but without any audio. So a lot of our videos now, if it's, if it's like evergreen content, we'll have that five seconds where there's a little bit of... Actually, you mean, I, cutscene's an example. Mm. Cutscene specifically has the first five seconds subtitled for that very reason. And we scripted that into the into the episodes. I mean, maybe not including subtitles, but historically that is something that American TV did a huge amount. And I can only say that with a degree of certainty is because yesterday I was doing I got back from the Digi weekend, I was doing some household chores, and I just had five USA Columbo. Because every Sunday, wall-to-wall Columbo episodes. Almost every one of the early Columbo episodes starts with a little tonight on Columbo. And it is literally a case of, oh, cool, you can see who the murderer is, you'll know anyway. <laughs> and they will show you basically about a minute of clips from the first two thirds, because it's a thing of like, okay, we want to make sure we hook people in early. It's a great idea. I, to be honest, I'm the sort of viewer where I'm like, well, I'm going to watch it anyway. But I get why you yeah. do it, because it's not the people like me who are already tuned into your content. It's the people that might. It's like the listener I spoke to this weekend that may never watch your content. It's, you want to grab them in. Exactly. It's trying to grab in the people who are just scrolling the feeds. Instagram and TikTok videos all have the subtitle things on it as well, because if you're scrolling through and you don't have any uh, sound on, you're just getting a snapshot of what this video is about before you you click into it. So I, I, I totally get why they're done. I actually think it's a very smart 
thing to be doing. Also, right, it's a clip that's not actually in the episode, yeah. which is just them talking about what weapons from Mario Kart would you put into Formula One? It's a shame because it sounds like a great conversation. <laughs> this week on the show, we have a man, a legend, a Simon Miller. The Simon Miller. Yes. The Simon Miller now. <laughs> Apparently a man and a legend. And a legend. <laughs> you. Then we get a few clips of the actual upcoming episodes and Boom, you are straight into the episode. It's Mike and it's Julia. And they're like, and here's our guest. It's Simon Miller. This is YouTube generation content. This is the sort of pace you produce content at for your day job. Yeah, because these are 14 minute episodes. They made about 10 of them in total with no ever, I guess, no plans to do a, a follow up series of them. We'll, we'll find out when we speak to Mike later on in the episode. But it's, you know, good bite sized content. It's a lot like Video Guiden which we did a handful of episodes back, that sort of snapshot, small, bite-sized video game content. But it makes sense here on Facebook Watch because you don't want to be asking someone to sit down and watch a half-hour episode of something on Facebook Watch. You want to try and just get boom, boom, boom. And credit to them, they fit a lot in to the 14 minutes they're on screen for. And bar one thing, it doesn't feel rushed. And I'll bring that up when we get to it. But... Yeah, Mike and Julia are there. They assume you know who they are or you don't care, one or the other. But they do spend some time bigging up their guests. And God knows, he doesn't need it. The guy is jacked. Oh, yeah. So this is Simon Miller. Um, A bit of a, oh, I suppose, not really a, a warning or anyone. I said this to Ash before we started recording. Well, there might be a bit of wrestling chat on this one because Simon Miller is not only a video game journalist, he's a wrestling content creator and a pro wrestler and it, they talk a lot about wrestling in the you know the the opening portion of of this episode here and i do know because they've told me there are some listeners who do not like wrestling and tune out when we talk about wrestling so uh, apologies, there may be a bit of wrestling chatter in this episode. I will genuinely, because the thing is, Simon Miller does enough talking about the wrestling and they talk about it and it is very entertaining. So I'll do my best to, to temper it back as much as I can. As much as we can. As much as we can. But we have a man who is a man, just an ordinary man. And a legend. And a legend, <laughs> just an ordinary legend. And Simon takes us through his journey. Yeah, which is that he was a video game journalist and like all video game journalists, jumped at the opportunity to be taken over to WrestleMania if you're a wrestling fan. So I actually got invited out to, to one of these things. So every year when they do the, the new 2K game, mm -hmm. uh, 2K will invite journalists out to be like, hey, look, we'll take you to WrestleMania. So they fly you over to the US, they put you up in a hotel, you get free tickets to WrestleMania. And then the idea, I guess, would be you write a glowing review of, of wrestling. They, they, it, a lot of video game companies like to just treat people nicely. And we, back in 2018, I want to say, pretty sure it was 2018, we got asked by 2K to go out to WrestleMania. We were part of this, come out and join us. And we, you know, you get to go to America, stay in a hotel and you get to go to WrestleMania. Uh, we actually didn't go in the end, not because we thought like oh, ethics in games journalism or, or whatever is like that. We would like, if we go, there's no one to make content because it literally was me and Ollie who were making stuff. And I was like, if one of us goes, the other one's going to struggle. If both of us goes, then nothing gets done. So we, we opted not to go in the end. If we got offered now, it might be a slightly different story, but I don't think they do it as much anymore because we didn't get asked to go out the last couple of times. So I don't know if they do it to the scale that they used to do it. Because I think the one that Simon's probably talking about here is Mania 32 that they did down in Texas. 
And I only know that because that was a big what culture excursion that they all went across. And he would have been doing stuff with what culture at that point. So it probably was the 32 that they went out for. I remember that coverage. Like, I, I do remember it because there was a lot of fartassing around with other wrestlers as well and various indie wrestlers that they knew and stuff like that because yeah. part of the whole Mania weekend. I wonder if they do it less now because like a lot of industries, they pivoted with the pandemic and it's like, well, we've got all this infrastructure set up for remote stuff now. I mean, you must have done various interviews with people for press junkets and not where you it's just a camera. Mm -hmm. You know, you record your side, they record their side, you get the raw footage uploaded. Yeah. So the Sonic the Hedgehog 2 junkets uh, that we did, I, you know, I interviewed Jim Carrey and, and a couple of the other stars and stuff. That was all remote. They could have been done in person because the pandemic was well over by that point. But, you know, Paramount were like, well, we could just do this online because actually it's easier for us to just do this online and keep people in house. It's cheaper. It's much cheaper. So much cheaper to do it that way. It means we don't have to cancel the film, write it off and never release it. <laughs> Still bitter about Batgirl. Yeah, looking at you, Warner Bros. Well, I mean, actually with that Scooby-Doo one, Scooby-Doo and Crypto oh, 2, God. a cancelled Scooby-Doo cartoon that is now getting released. I think we might see Batgirl get released because what we're looking at now is a Hollywood industry that doesn't hasn't greenlit anything and hasn't made anything. Mm. So they'll run out of things to release. It'll be interesting what that makes for their tax returns. Anyway, <laughs> see, people are worried about too much wrestling chat. We could get to taxes. There we go. But, uh, Simon is, so I've, I've met Simon a couple of times. You know, we both work in the same circle. We both work, we work in the same industry. We're both wrestling YouTube content creators in a way. But I've only met him twice. And oddly, the first time I met him was not at a wrestling event. It was a press junket for Cult of Chucky. Wow. Yeah, it was. I met him there because he was there doing stuff for, for What Culture and I was doing stuff for a, a, the movie website I used to write for. And I just started working at, Wrestle, uh, at WrestleTalk as a, on a full-time basis. And I went over to shake his hands and he knew who I was because I'd just started and it had become a bit of a, a wave of things. So very nice, had a nice chat with him. And then I didn't see him again until this year, uh, January 2023, when I met him at the 2K23 press day. And we went down there to play the game together. But he is a proper, proper nice bloke. He has got that very interesting, you know, journey, which he, he talks about here, which is that he is a a wrestling critic, I'm doing Bucky O'Hare is, that became a wrestler. And not many people that it's like a Most movie, people go the other way. Exactly. It's it's a, a movie critic becoming a director or an actor. He is, he's a wrestler now. He yeah. still does his YouTube content for what culture. He does his ups and downs and often outdraws us in terms of YouTube views. And I'll always hold that against him. But he- but He's uh, a lovely guy. But he's a lovely guy. But I think it's amazing that he has gone from being wrestling YouTuber to wrestler. And when he went, you know, when he put the boots on and he stepped in, he had a lot of doubters. Yeah. A lot of fans on his side because he's got a, a good following. But he had a lot of doubting Thomases. Wrestling memes had the exact same thing when, when he decided he was going to do wrestling as well. People didn't feel like, you're not going to last here. Stephanie Sterling had yeah. the same thing. And a lot of people were just like, this is not going to last. But Simon's made it work, man. He has put the work in and has made it work. And definitely put the work in because if you haven't gone and checked this video, he is wearing one of those shirts that only jacked people can wear. If you or I were to wear it, it would not be a good look. No, it would look very silly on you it, and I. It would be, yeah, it would just not look. We'd probably look kind of like pregnant and, and like saggy and stuff. Yeah, but no, yeah. he's jacked. And so it just looks like someone just got some cotton textured spray paint and just went, whoosh, yeah, that'll do. And he is, I mean, in real life, enormous. Yeah, he jacked. is jacked. Yeah, he, he's a big, big dude. 
But it's yeah, it's it's great to see that he has succeeded in in this line of work. It's got to be the biggest pivot in video games in terms yeah. of like direction, <laughs> right? Absolutely, yeah. Switching from typing words about about video games and making videos about video games to getting dropped on your head. Yeah, I mean, but why not, right? I mean, sometimes, you know, you gave a bad review and the internet makes it feel like you've been dropped on your head with their, their wonderful support. Like so why not keyboard violence with real violence. Why not do it for real? And obviously, I think, you know, most people know that obviously wrestling is, um, is performance art, I guess is the best way to put it. It's, pre- <laughs> it's, it's predetermined. Well, I mean, the word that people like to use is fake, but it's not. I don't like that word because... It's a ballet of pain. It's a ballet of pain, exactly. <laughs> Simon compares comments from angry video game fans <laughs> to being dropped on your head. And my comment on that was, where's the lie? <laughs> that is, where is the lie in that? Because I don't doubt that for a little bit. I also like as well, uh, Julia suggests referring to wrestling as a ballet of pain, which I really do quite enjoy and I may steal and start using on my own content. So. I mean, violent panto, spandex soap opera, fake is annoying. And I get why Simon doesn't like it. I don't like it either from my perspective of, of working in the in the industry. You are being dropped on your head. There's not a lot of fake about that. People don't look at stuntmen in a Bond movie or Mission Impossible or John Wick and go, well, that's fake. And it's the same amount of physicality. In fact, sometimes there's more because people wear a lot more padding in films. Okay, sure, a wrestling ring is slightly padded. But quite often, the outside of the ring isn't. He even mentions here, you know, five matches into his professional wrestling career, shattered his shoulder and his collarbone. I have seen a very similar injury happen to a friend of mine. Mm. And I didn't just see it. I was actually operating a camera from the balcony, looking directly down at the ring. So I saw them go out of the ring and just go jackknife into the floor. Yeah. I mean, it didn't cause them to retire, but it put them on the shelf for a long, long time. Speaking with someone about this this weekend as well, I was going to say the worst thing about working in wrestling is seeing people you genuinely care for and love and you consider part of your extended family being injured. And I've seen it too often. It's honestly the one time at least I almost just walked away completely because I'm like, I can't, I can't do it. I get nervous every, every show, particularly when there's things like tables and chairs and, yeah. and you know props involved because things go wrong. Things can go wrong. It, it ain't ballet, folks, as, as people within the wrestling industry would tell you. I mean, well, I mean, it is a ballet of pain, yeah, It's a ballet of pain, maybe. Yeah. Well, I messaged Simon earlier to be like, oh, funny, if we're reviewing that episode that, that you were on for, for Top Gear Gaming. And he just said, well, that's a blast from the past. I'd actually almost forgotten about it. But there's nothing really interesting to say about it. The only thing is, it was a fun day. The only story I do have is that I did that after the surgery for the broken rib. So while it looks like I was having a super jovial time, inside, I was crying. What an absolute hench dude, though. Because it does come up. He's like, yeah, he's injured. And it's why he doesn't take part in the challenge. Although I think the challenge would have been a lot less fun. Yeah. If he had if taken Simon part. Simon was doing it, yeah. And Simon does say, yeah, I am a wrestler. I make content about wrestling. It annoys a lot of people. And it sure does. People find it annoying that I uh, give reviews of wrestling without ever having stepped inside a wrestling ring outside of being inside a wrestling ring. I've never taken, like, I've never had a match. Um, You've people, taken a few bumps. I've and taken that's a few it. bumps and that's about it. But people do find it genuinely irritating that I have opinions on wrestling having never done it. And I look at those people and they're like, well, have you ever made a movie? You can't tell me what you think of Black Widow then. You've made a movie. I have made a movie. I, I, in which case, I am allowed to say what I think of Black Widow because I have made a movie. It's not very good, but at least I made it. You, you put your, 
your money away, your mouth. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Julia's just like, you know, what what's involved in being a wrestler? What do I need to do to become a wrestler? And Simon's immediately like, well, you're wearing tight pants, so you immediately <laughs> you're on the right tight, shiny pants and a sparkly top. I mean, that is about seventy five percent of being a wrestler. That and cardio. You you can go into training to be a wrestler being jacked, like being Simon size or bigger. But if you haven't got the solid cardio and stamina behind you, you're just going to get blown up. You're just going to get winded and you're not going to be any good. I mean, Simon mentions here that he trained on his cardio for six months before his first training session. And then during that first training session was like, oh, I think I might just leave. Like, I think I might just quit this because this is horrible. This is a horrible on your body. I think a lot of people would probably remember uh, Louis Theroux's Weird Weekends. Yeah. When he spent an afternoon at the uh, the WCW power plants in uh, you know, 1992-2000 and how horrific they treated him. Granted, a lot of that is exaggerated because he upset one of the wrestlers when he used the word fake. But it isn't that much of an exaggeration at how hard wrestling training tries to push you because it is not an easy thing to do. And it takes a real toll on your body. So they want that. So wrestling trains, like, you know, the idea is we're going to push you to your absolute limit. Because if you can survive that, then you'll be okay in a match. Basically, if you've got the stamina to make it through two hours of this bullshit, you've got enough stamina then to consistently do 20 minute matches. Yeah. Quite often, some other areas of sport, you will push yourself harder in training because it just means you've got extra in the tank for when it comes to your actual performance, your actual race, your actual match or bout or whatever. I know wrestlers who do squats for fun. I mean, to be honest, I always think most wrestlers are at least part masochist, and that just proves my point. Exactly. You just be like, oh yeah, I just do 100 squats just for the hell of it. Why not? Why I not? mean, to be fair, I go running for fun. Yeah, I, I get that. It's just, I don't know, squats hurt. Yeah. So, <laughs> so does running. I do think Formula One could be improved by at least two wrestling things. One, okay. entrance music. Yes, 100%. Yes, oh right? God, Always. Why not? And two, shouting at each other via the camera, cutting a promo. Why is there not more pyrotechnics in F1? Why isn't pyrotechnics feature in all sports? I don't get it. In wrestling, you can't go two minutes that far like yeah. a ball. If you get the fastest lap, you could have a pyrotechnic display. Obviously, winner can get pyrotechnic display. Loser can get pyrotechnic display. <laughs> fastest pit stop, yeah. pyrotechnic display. The next bit we get here when they're talking about how F1 could be improved by wrestling is clearly where the opening bit come from about like, you know, how could F1 be improved by Mario Kart? But I don't think they're wrong either because it's not F1. Darts. Darts is so much better for having entrance music and pyros and like sometimes capes. The guy who made darts what darts is today was a wrestling fan. And he looked at what wrestling did and was like, I'm just going to do that for darts. And he was the guy who made darts the big extravaganza that it is now. I went to my wife's cousin's stag do a number of years back and he went to the darts in Butlins and let me tell you, if you think you like watching darts, try watching it for a full day. It's exhausting. And it is a lot of the same thing. But, and it's also a big drinking day. And I think that's why people go. But when I was there, I was like, bloody hell, this is wrestling. Like, it's the big entrance music. It's the pyro. It's the costumes. It's the nicknames. It is pro wrestling. But then they stand there and just go, 22. If you get 180, the crowd go that shit that is one thing but i love with the entrances and this is particularly for the butlins ones they don't have an entrance way and like a curtain or a stage they have a catwalk that goes into the middle of the crowd oh yeah so to do their entrance they have to walk down there off camera and then they're just kind of stood there at the end of a runway going am i taking off okay 
trundle, 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 whilst whatever piece of music. They've actually got a very narrow library because they're using licensed music. And you can tell some of them are like, I want this music. We can't license that. Okay. Um, do you have Chelsea Dagger? Oh, sure. We'll do that. Yeah, then. yeah. Because then I saw like, merchandise being sold outside. It was like 60 quid for a t-shirt. I was like, bloody hell. They're absolutely raking it in with this. I, I mean, like, that's also wrestling. <laughs> exactly. Another thing taken from wrestling. My favorite thing on the darts, actually, just before we move on from that, is the announcer is the difference between being under and over 100. Yeah. Because it was like, 120! 98. <laughs> I would love for a darts announcer to do bingo. <laughs> I just think that'd be a lot of fun. So I guess we'll, we'll throw over to, to Mike. It, this isn't going to be as smooth as a transition as we've had with what are we playing, Games Master, as we go into our challenge here? Because there's just lots of different voices explaining what's going to happen. So I'll hand it over to, to you guys. Tell us what we're doing. Well, talking of A, fastest laps, and B, completely arbitrary additions to sport, uh, <laughs> we've got a, uh, a challenge that combines your love of video games with your love of weight training. And wrestling, yeah. I yeah. think it all comes together because it's all well and good to hold a wheel, and drive around like you're driving a real car. But what's better, you see, like in all things in life, is attaching weights to the wheel. <laughs> and making life. It took me a long time to come up with this, Julia, right? <laughs> and making the wheel really heavy. And only then can you see what a truly good driver you are. What we have here is Mario Kart 8, which we'll get to talk about again in a couple of weeks' time when we get back into the uh, Games Master reboot. And you've got the Joy-Cons on weights. And you've got to hold up the weights in front of you, arms extended and then play the game. Because Simon says that what people love is like the bit where you got from the Wii onwards of let's just stick the controller in a plastic steering wheel and you hold it out in front of you with nothing attached to it so you kind of drift all over the place. But people love that. Let's add weights to it. And my note is this is a terrible idea. Yeah. It's, it's a fun challenge and it's a, it's a very uh, Simon Miller-esque challenge because he's a big jack dude who's into you know weightlifting and stuff. But it's also, it's a popular game. It's a popular racing game and ties into the behind the pixels thing that we're going to have later on in the episodes. Brief note on Mario Kart 8. Very brief note because Mario Kart 8 started out on the Wii U. It then got released on the Switch as Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. And this was kind of an early doors Switch game. This has been around for a while. And yet, shit is still coming out for it. More track packs. Like February 2022, Nintendo said, oh, it's going to get paid downloadable content. It is paid, but also it's course passes. They're, they're bringing in more and more stuff. They're bringing in stuff from previous Mario games. They're remaking them. They're reinvigorating them, bringing in more characters. If you're going to do a live service game, this is how to do it because you can buy just go out and buy mario kart on a cartridge you'll have plenty of stuff there you'll be able to do multiplayer it'll be great but if you invest in some of this stuff you just get more and more tracks more and more characters more and more expansions and stuff an evergreen title it's funny that you mentioned the fact that this is you know it's a relatively old game but it's just been updated a lot we played mario kart 8 in the office and it was the first time i'd ever played this was a about six months ago or so it's the first time I'd ever played Mario Kart 8. And I was quite bad at it. And I was like, I was like, in fairness, I haven't played a Mario Kart game since the Wii. And someone said and was like, I mean, that only was the one before this. Yeah. And I, and I was like, but it also came out 15 years ago. 
Also, were you playing on a Joy-Con or a Pro Controller? Uh, a, a Joy-Con. Yeah. See, for me, I'm I suck at Mario Kart 8 unless I've got a proper controller. Yeah. I just don't get on with it. It's the same thing. We had this as a comment on, uh, I think it was on the Video Game Nation episode, where it was like, wow, it's odd to feel nostalgic about a show from 2014. Because I think 2014 is only a couple of years ago. It is. But it, but it's not. It's, it's, you know, nearly 10 years ago now. No, 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 no. It's only a couple of years ago. It's less than 10, so it's only a couple of years ago. And so I had this, it was the same thing where I was like, yeah, I haven't played a Mario Kart game since Mario Kart Wii. And that was, you know, 2008. I have not played a Mario Kart game since then. And it turns out I'm quite bad at eight. So despite a brief continuity error or brief flub that there's because hey it's a video game based product we're not doing second takes we're not on Mario Circuit we're on Mario Kart Stadium which it's kind of it is basically the introductory stage of Mario Kart uh, for Eight and Deluxe it's the first race of the Mushroom Cup it is basically your basic bitch Mario Kart track yeah always start with the basic one it's a great way to warm people up to it and it's where simon talks about the fact that he was he's injured where he's recovering from his injury (laughs) so he's putting mike and julia in the challenge instead and i love that julia julia clearly gets wrestling because she's like no you should be doing this injured it's great story it's great (laughs) content and it's like that is exactly the thinking of a wrestling promoter but they immediately work out that there's a slight problem with this challenge, which is that if you have your arms out extended in front of you with the weight on, you then can't see the screen. So you've got this really funny visual of both Mike and Julia looking over, like cranking their necks over their Joy-Con controller weight combinations to actually see where they're going. It's like what you'd imagine a 10-year-old Joyrider would be like. It's like, I've got the wheel, I can't quite see. And it's really funny as well, because despite the fact that these are, you know, gamers big gaming fans julia does not know what the controls are and so she they tell her it's a but it's nintendo a which is in a different yeah. position to where xbox a is oh my god i when i've been playing the switch for a while and then i go back to the xbox the amount of times i keep backing out of things because i'm like <laughs> wrong a it's so good it's like it's a and she starts reversing they're like no it's nintendo a although i do love simon just going i want to see your arms extended i want to see triceps trapezius deltoids you don't need to know what they mean but they need to be out there and i think this is a fun idea for a challenge you know the the idea being that the longer you go around the more tired your arms are going to become but Mike breezes through this without breaking one iota of a sweat. I'm sweating quite a bit now. Are you really? Yeah, See, I that's love it. I, I don't trust Mike hasn't done this before. It's because he's got small children he has to keep lifting up. This is it's literally right. the parents' that's, lift. He's absolutely smashed it. Luke, of the two of us, you are the one with a child. Does having a child improve your stamina for Mario Kart? I don't know for sure. I do. I mean, I, I carry the kid around a lot and she weighs him pretty hefty amount now uh you know i do have to go when i lift her up and apparently babies who are born to parents within their 30s grunt more than kids who don't because they're just imitating what their parents do (laughs) so every time i pick the kid up and i go she will make grunting noises as well and go (laughs) she gets picked up so, but maybe the fact that I'm doing this over and over again, I mean, I think I do need to go and see a chiropractor because I think I've, I've effed up my lower back. You're not lifting with your knees, you're lifting with your back, man. Uh, well, I, I don't think I'm doing much good for myself, really. 
So we I, need to send you on a working with weights training course. <laughs> I've done those. And literally, it is two days of them going, lift with your knees, not with your back. Lift with your knees, not with your back. That's it. Yeah. So I don't know whether or not this would help me out. But according to Julia, it would do me uh, much better. Now, I also think that Julia, because she's a pro, is playing up to this a bit more than, than Mike is. Because she has a fitness channel. She has yeah. a, a gaming fitness channel. She's in incredible shape. So she's probably just doing fine with this, but the better content is to struggle. So I think I think she is making this sound harder f- on her than it actually is. Although Simon is also going, Juliet, from my perspective, you're winning because your posture is great. <laughs> Mike, straighten your arms. And Mike's like, it's not figure skating. It's, it's racing and I'm winning. <laughs> <laughs> So your Simon voice then really reminded me there was a period of time when we used to edit videos for What Culture. Yeah. Uh, they, they hired us and as a production company to edit some of their videos. So we edited some Simon audio for a list video. And I wasn't working for WrestleTalk at the time. But I was just, I, I was working at a different company, but I was working remotely. So I just went to the WrestleTalk office to spend the day there when we were in Dagenham. And they were editing this Simon Miller list video about uh, most random Survivor Series teams or like weirdest Survivor Series teams, mm-hmm. something like this. And he had this line where he's like, oh, that's 1999 for you. And that is the line me and Ollie say back to each other every time. We make a Simon and I was like, oh, that's 1999 for, for you. That's 1999 for you. But we're not just going to have one race because Mike, Mike just breathes through that. So what are we going to do, Luke? We're going to up the weight. We're going to double the weight because that's what you do. And Simon again says, Julia was the real winner because of her form. And now they're on Mario Circuit, which again... It's the first course, but it's the first course of the Flower Cup. So we've got Upper Cup. Yeah, we are playing at 50cc, but it, Simon's like, do you know what? It does not matter about any of the other CPU races. You don't need to come first. You just need to, one of you just needs to beat the other. And this one is a lot closer, helped by the fact that Julia now knows it's Nintendo A to go forward. So she doesn't spend the first, you know, 10 seconds of the race reversing so it's much closer mike is still out in front but julia's only a little bit behind him in second often dropping down to thirds i will probably be asking about this later but mike is saying oh it's much harder everything hurts and i'm looking at him going i don't actually believe you i don't think it is i don't think i think mike despite him going i've got pipe cleaner arms i mean one he has a kid but also mike is not like i mean he's not miller you know he's not you know, needs extra wide door frames because of the henchness. But I think Mike is subtly quite strong. I think Mike is doing better at this than he perhaps is letting on. And I think he's finding this a lot easier than he's letting on. As I said, I think Julia is as well. Consummate pro Julia is really hamming it up about like how her arms hurt and all this other stuff. It's really, really fun. I think they make a really good meal out of this. I mean, despite the fact that Julia is doing better, she does kind of like, Lose again. Mike wins again. Mike wins two in a row, basically. Yeah, but then he do two laps. Yeah. Although when they complete the first lap of the second race, Simon's like, no, keep keep the weight up. I just want to see how long you can go. I'm just having fun. <laughs> I was like Simon at the end of this, where he's like, you can have that one if you want Nintendo. It's a really good idea. You love doing fitness things with your games. There you go. There's a free idea on me. No, that's 2021 for you. <laughs> now it's time to play Mario Kart Home Circuit with these guys. It's an augmented reality racing game. Built around a radio-controlled car that's packed with AR technology, Mario Kart Live Colon Home Circuit is Nintendo's latest foray into both the kart racing genre and the filling our houses with plastic toys genre. 
Home Circuit allows you to set up physical Mario Kart tracks in the real world, then race around them on Nintendo Switch against computer-controlled opponents or up to three of your mates. Assuming you each have a copy of the game and a Nintendo Switch to run it on. And you're all still mates after the first race. I mean, it is still Mario Kart. We stick with Mario Kart for this next section with Behind the Pixels with a gimmick that I really want to try, but I just need to wait until I see one secondhand cheap enough. This, as an idea, Mario Kart Live Home Circuit, I think is a great idea it often doesn't work in principle. And actually, it's something that Mike brings up in his sort of like intro blurb about this, which is that it's, you know, how does this work in an average British living room? And that's always been my thing with when looking at Mario Kart Home Circuit. Like when this game came out and I was in my two-bed masonette in West London, I was like, oh, well, I've got no room whatsoever to build a, com- a compelling track. And even when I'm, I think about the, I'm in a much bigger house now, you know, humble brag, but even though I looked down, I was like, I don't know, like the living room's not massive. And I suppose I could do it into the hallway, but the hallway's not massive. And I suppose I could run into the kitchen, but the kitchen's not massive. I was thinking about this and I was thinking about the house I'm living in at the moment. And I'm thinking, depending on how it does with walls and signal path, could probably do through the living room, through the downstairs bedroom and the kitchen, because they've all interconnected via doors. But I'm thinking, well, if it can do with walls, that could be quite fun. And then we could actually have it going out into the paved back garden area. Mm -hmm. But it's all dependent on signal quality. And realistically, what I'd much rather do is do what they do and just find an open space. That's it. And set it up with some fun gimmicks, maybe some jumps. Because this just looks like so much fun. It, I, that's what I mean. I think it looks like a great idea on paper, but you need the space. To be, and actually, when the game came out, that was the criticism that was levied against it, which is that this is good, but not everyone is going to be able to use this to its full potential. In Including Amer- most people in Japan. Yeah, and in America, it's a very different story because everyone's got those open plan spaces. Not people in you know apartment blocks or anything like that, but if you have a house, you've probably got a big open plan living room that you can do something in. You know, the ones you see in the, the, the commercials for it and stuff. Yeah. On paper, it's such a good idea. I think in principle, most people would struggle with it. And it ends up just being a very cool pipe dream. Just in case you don't know what Home Circuit is, it's basically Mario Kart with a remote control car and augmented reality. It works way better than it has any right to. Like, I, when I first saw this announced, I was like, well, this is going to be a glitchy piece of shit because so many of these attempted gimmicks are. Nintendo put the legwork in. It's very impressive. The video cameras do actually look really good. It's got some really clever technology where you have these gateways to act as kind of checkpoints, but then you draw the course with the car the first time round. And then when you do multiplayer, everyone else kind of sees that drawing. Mm -hmm. My only real criticism is they do have um, Mario and Luigi. What I wish they'd done is just done cheaper shells. So you're like, well, I've got the Mario one, but I really want to get a Toad. And so you just buy, you just, it's kind of like popping the lid off and putting like an interchangeable case cover or something. Mm -hmm. Maybe if it had taken off more, that would have been a way to do it, but it would have been a really fun little kind of gimmick and also it would have been a bit of extra scratch i mean nintendo don't mind selling useless physical add-ons hello amiibos i mean that's kind of what uh mike was talking about in that intro blurb was like it's the next chapter in the uh mario kart genre but it's also the next chapter in nintendo fills your house with pointless plastic garbage genre hey with nintendo they did cardboard as well lest we forget with the lab I like the way they got here, and you're right, because they've got the big studio space and they've got a TV crew to, to set this all up, they're able to create 
the idealized version of home circuits. Unfortunately, you can't really do this in your own living room. But if you've got a big space like this, God, this looks like so much fun. Or a garage. A garage a would be garage. great for this. And they are having fun with this. This is my one criticism of the episode, which is there's a lot of time being spent setting this up. They've got multiple cars and they just play for it a bit. And then we're on to the star in a reasonably still car. This is the one thing that they could have all raced on. Absolutely. And I'm I'm definitely going to ask Mike, was it filmed and it just didn't work? Because I was dead excited watching this in preparation because I'd not watched it since it was originally put out a couple of years ago to see them all race home circuit like this. And it never happened. Now it's time for our start in a reasonably still car. And we have managed to crowbar Simon <laughs> Miller's humongous muscular form into this little racing seat. It was a bit hit and miss. We were worried you weren't going to fit. Yeah. I, I, I've kind of got used to it now. I wouldn't call it comfortable. <laughs> I would call it small, but you know, that's what it's in. As long as you are I'd... folded up like a deck chair. Exactly. <laughs> which is a rarity for me. So it feels like a special day out. How do you think you're going to do? You've got the leaderboard in front of you. Badly. I don't seem to obey pedals in a digital world the same way I do in the real world. So <laughs> I am middle, medium confident as long as I just take it easy, don't go too crazy and try and stay on the track. Where do you think you're going to... As long as I beat Gav Murphy, I don't care. All, all I want to do is beat Gav Murphy. Anyone's criteria for this is just, just got to beat Gav. Exactly. And if I don't, there's going to be a lot of soul searching and a lot of sadness. And that next segment is a games version of the Top Gear staple, star in a reasonably priced car, star in a reasonably still car. car basically an excuse to fold up Simon into a small e-racing setup. Well, it's not a small e-racing setup. He's just huge. He's just huge. It's actually fine for normal-sized people, but Simon's massive. He's only got himself to blame for just being so jacked. Although, knowing now what I know about the rib surgery, oh, <laughs> being folded like a deck chair. I mean, you do get folded like a deck chair quite a bit as a wrestler. You know, submission holds, heart dungeon, all that stuff. Doing that with a rib injury. As he mentioned in that message, it's like, oh, I look like I'm having fun, but inside I am weeping. I like this as a great setup because what they've done is recreated the track from Top Gear, but now you're doing it on a, a video game version. So this is done in Forza, and then you're just playing it in a, a car, a, a fake car, and setting a lap time on it. This is a brilliant a sidestep move from a very famous segment in Top Gear to a video game format of it. I'm fairly certain this is Forza 7 because Forza and Top Gear have been arm in arm, I think it's like maybe Forza 3, maybe even earlier. They've had a presence, but also this was 2017 if it is Forza 7. You used to watch Top Gear, you know what the Top Gear test track looks like, I know. If I didn't know it was a video game, there were various points in this challenge where I'd be like, well, that's just footage from the TV show. I think because it is basically an airfield, they, they can really dial it down and just get it. And so there are it's just so recognisable. It's like, well, that is Gambon Corner. That is clearly the straight through. That It's a lot of fun. And I, I do feel bad for Simon because this does not go well. No. So there are three times that he could possibly beat, which set by Tom Cole of 1 minute 33, Alex Donaldson of 1 minute 40, and Gav Murphy, the original time setter on this, of 1 minute 52. And it was established pretty early doors that Gav did badly at this challenge. And he has got a time that everyone should be able to beat. And Simon is not confident on this, but he's only got one thing. He just wants to beat Gav's time it'll be very embarrassing if he loses to Gav's time. 
and even cuts the perfect wrestling promo, probably the best wrestling promo of all time. Gav Murphy, at the moment you are in last place and we all think you're so bad, I am terrified about being below you because you are rubbish in this game and we consider you scum. Not really. I love you, Gavin, but oh I was asked to do it, so I've done it. Well, you're scum. You're not actually, you're lovely, but they asked me to do it. I've done it now. I just need to make sure everything's clear that I don't actually think you're scum, but for the benefit of a wrestling promo, you're scum. It's so funny. It, yeah, it's brilliant comedy. And much like that Gran Turismo challenge we had in Series 7, he's not shifting them gears like Mike would like him to. No. I mean, to be honest, if it was just on an automatic, it would be less entertaining. Yeah, I think this has to be proper gears, proper shifting. It's not a proper challenge in a way. It's just you're just doing any old racing game. I don't think I'd have done any better in this challenge. In fact, I think I'd have probably done worse because I didn't know oh, yeah. a fucking driving license. No, I mean, I, even as someone who has a driving license, I think I would do terribly at this. He Because he gets off to a bad start and he's not changing the gears, even though Mike is telling him to. And he's kind of all over the show. He then takes one corner really quite well and he absolutely floors it and he's up to fourth and then drops down to seconds to go into the next corner and Mike goes it's a bold move <laughs> and turns out it was a bold move that doesn't quite pay off but not terribly because as Julia shouts that was fine <laughs> but Simon does suddenly realise what's wrong Luke he's not in his pants he's not in his pants I do all my best racing in my pants if you ever face me online in a racing game and I'm winning it's because I'm in my pants and he then starts to get very worried. I'm not going to beat Gav's time. I'm starting to get very worried now. I'm not going to beat Gav's time. And he veers off course to the point where they are not sure where he is anymore. Somewhere in Surrey. <laughs> like, I have no idea where you've ended up on the course. You've broken or, the map. Or how you can get back to the course. Because <laughs> the one disadvantage of that Top Gear test track being so flat is you've got very little in the way of identifying landmarks. So it's like, well, you're somewhere on an airfield. Yeah. Sucks to be you. Miller, it was going so well. It, was it wasn't. Going so well. It hasn't gone well since the first corner. Where are you? Somewhere in oh deepest, darkest Surrey at the it's moment. It's been an absolute abomination from start <laughs> to finish. Wow. And I will now be the guy that everyone tries to beat and does easily oh. with an abysmal time. Simon Miller, you did it in two minutes and seven seconds. This is going to take a while to get over. I'm going to blame it on the very, very, very small seat. And he's just like, you know what? It, it nearly got better. And he's like, no, it didn't. This never got better. It started terribly and it only got worse from there. Two minutes, 7.3 seconds. We have a new winner, ladies and gentlemen, at the bottom of the leaderboard. 15 seconds slower. So I thought I would double check to see if he is indeed the slowest person overall on this episode. But Simon can rest easy somewhat is that he is in fact not the slowest person uh, on this game. Bex April May sets a time of 2 minutes 12 on the track. And that is the slowest in the whole series. Oh, his dignity is safe. <laughs> in fact, fairness to Gav, he ends up being mid-table. Loads of people end up being slower than him. Wow. Intentionally. Mike, stop it! I don't know what the pedals do! Gearing's the really complicated bit, you don't have to worry about it. 
So that's it. And then we get a little tease for next week's episodes. Which looks like a lot of fun. And I watched it on the train here. It is. Yeah. It's a Wipeout-based episode. Yeah. It, I like that they don't just have to go, oh, we're doing race sims. They do Mario Kart. They do Mario Kart AR with live circuit. They do Wipeout. They do kind of veer all over the place, as it were, much like Simon on the test track, to kind of show the broad spectrum of racing games. If they could have done more retro, we might have got a Micro Machines 2 challenge. So that's going to do it for this episode of Top Gear Gaming. Ash, what did you make of it? I had a lot of fun with this. I'm quite sad that we only got this one run. I know this is something we'll probably get on to with the Games Master reboot. I could have actually done with this being a little bit longer. Oh, okay, right, because I like that it was bite-sized chunk content. Because I watched this one and then immediately went and watched the, the Gav Murphy one, which I think is exactly what I did the first time I discovered Top Gear gaming show as well. I watched the Simon Miller one, then watched the one that's got Gav in it. Um, it's a bit like a Pringles tube, isn't it? Yeah, and like it, I think it being bite-sized content's quite nice and it is quite easy to digest. With more time you can certainly do a lot more things to it you could probably do like two challenges with with each guest that you've got on but i actually think the format they've got it works best as like this little 12 minute show also got to keep in mind digital only not even digital first that's it digital only this isn't a tv show this this is this is facebook content like it can't be too long actually if it if it go any longer it'd actually be working against itself i mean this is roughly around the same length of some of the content that you and your colleagues put out daily exactly and that's because that is a sweet spot yeah it's really easy uh, to digest it's like the when we do our sort of 10 12 minute morning news videos that's the idea is that you just watch this with your morning cup of coffee uh, and then you're ready to go on with the rest of your day you don't need to invest a lot of time to watch this whereas if this show had say jumped to a bbc3 or a bbc4 i think they could have made it a half hour show and it wouldn't have overstayed its welcome i don't think so the format is there the dynamic is there i think particularly as well because julia and mike are such like nice hosts and, and very welcoming hosts that i don't think it would feel weird or out of place within the top gear world there would be people who would be like this is a top gear where's my where's my clarkson even though you know clarkson's not here at this point they still would have been like, where's my clarkson at <laughs> he's on the other channel yeah he's got the bezos money i bet you actually if they'd have done this as an actual tv show the comments would have been why didn't you just call this something else we're gonna get a lot of that <laughs> over the coming weeks We've locked out quite a bit recently because you obviously know people involved in some of the shows we've uh, we've talked about recently. We've had a number of interviews, a number of behind-the-scenes comments. You even messaged Simon earlier to ask him about his involvement in this particular episode. So it'd be really, really useful if we knew someone that we could talk to a little bit more about the making of this show. It's always great not just to read information off the internet, but to actually talk to the people who made the show, who are involved in the creative process, who have their own personal story. And thankfully, we know one of those people because he's been with us before. It's Mike Chanel from Outside Xbox and Top Gear. And the Top Gear gaming show. Yeah, yeah. A little dabbling in uh, in something else, something other than Outside Xbox. Yeah, this was a really fun project. I loved working on it, working with Julia as well, and great guests like Simon Miller, who's a, a, a dear friend of mine as well. 
because we sort of all came up through the kind of games journalism circles you know i worked in magazines before outside xbox and he used to work for um various sort of xbox 360 magazines around the kind of gears of war era and stuff like that and so we knew each other from sort of press trips and and things like that and one of the kind of quite cool things about simon miller and my relationship is that when i was going motor racing and sort of fulfilling my dream of going motor racing, he was simultaneously fulfilling his dream of becoming a professional wrestler. Uh, it just so happened that his first, you know, actual wrestling match occurred on the same weekend as my first motor race. And so we and we saw each other at a, an event on the Thursday beforehand for the crew too, I think it was. And um, and we were chatting about this and it was it was really, really nice moment of sort of both of us had kind of chased this dream and both of us had got to the point where we were fulfilling that dream. And so we had a little pact on Twitter and you can probably, assuming Twitter hasn't just blown up its archive, which, I mean, who knows these days, but we had a little thing where we were just, we what we said was that um, he would tweet me the number he was eliminated from the Royal Rumble that was his like debut match. And I would tweet him the position I finished in my, first race and so we did that so if you went back through twitter you would have found a very confusing situation where simon miller tweeted me a number and i tweeted simon miller a number and neither of us explained what those numbers meant uh but that was us yeah that was us uh completing our uh our sort of childhood dreams on the same weekend so who fared better i think i think he did maybe i'll have to go back and check i may be being generous and maybe he was being generous but i i feel like he did better than me Maybe he was a kind of a bigger, he was a big deal because he was already like a sort of wrestling content creator at that point, I think. So I think he was quite, you know, he was quite a big deal in that, in that sort of sphere when he made his debut match. Whereas, uh, you know, in motor racing circles, no one knew who the hell I was, but you know, I've known him for a very long time. And and so it was really nice to collaborate with him. And also, you know, other guests in the series, like Gav Murphy and Imogen and, uh, you know, Alex Donaldson, all sort of friends from within the the industry. Gav Murphy, who we just uh, talked about a few weeks back because we covered the episode of Video Game Nation, where he's threatened by a xenomorph from Alien. Yes, I remember it well. Yeah. He really doesn't like it. And also <laughs> that was lovely because we got Jane from outside Xbox on screen as well. And nice. it was just nice. It was, it's just really nice as we gotten closer and closer to present day, how there are more and more faces where it's not even just a case of, oh, I remember them from when I was a nipper. Now it's a case of, oh, cool. I'm still watching their content now, or yeah. in Luke's case, knows most of the people involved in Video Game Nation. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was a, it was a sort of it was a, a group um, certainly within like the games media around the time that I was there as well. So like Efa and Dan Marr and you know all those people were all sort of in and around games media, and I think at the time we were all trying to make that transition from sort of the written word uh to video stuff and presenting and things like that and i know Aoife was sort of always involved in the kind of um in the jinx tv and and that sort of thing but yeah it was a real it, it the video game nation arrived at a sort of point when when that transition was happening when we were all trying to to sort of find out how to do what we were doing in the written word but in video and we all found our way eventually and that's how outside xbox showed up and you know all the jinx stuff happened and and then you know we got to know julia as well um via that so um yeah it's it sounds quite cliquey but it's more it's more that there was just a, a really big passionate group in this country of people 
wanting to to make great stuff about video games and so we cross paths all the time at events and you know previews and and things like that it's so weird as well you mentioned your background with simon miller seeing him in various junkets because of course logically in my head he know i know he's got the background as the gaming journalist i remember the the whole thing about him you know wanting to become a wrestler i mean he talks about it on the episode itself but in my head still I just see Simon Miller as the wrestler and wrestling content creator. Even though I've literally just spent an hour and a half talking about him, my brain's just like, no, he's the wrestler. Because also, he's poured into that T-shirt. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's huge. He's absolutely huge. And 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 sort of very... He's like he's hewn out of granite as well. He's an extremely solid uh, man. You know, when I sort of first met him, he was not as as stacked as as he is now but obviously that was a a sort of key thing he wanted to achieve and and he has done a great job of it and he has the the wrestler physique you know he has that that sort of that imposing kind of wrestler physique but he's also like the loveliest guy in the world so um we were lucky enough to to catch up with simon recently because we were doing some work with uh, virgin media at the o2 and they were doing the money in the bank pay-per-view at the o2 so we were able to do a live stream with simon which is sort of available on on the outside xbox youtube channel uh and then we all watched money in the bank together and it was really nice you know with simon as such a key sort of figure in the kind of wrestling content creation thing to be sitting next to him at money in the bank and making sort of comments and joking about stuff and and yeah it's, it was he's just a lovely lovely guy and um yeah a real treat to to get to hang out with him so to rewind a little bit when we talked to you before i think we talked about some of your gaming origins and i think mm. it stayed in the edit but <laughs> you started with the atari st if i remember correctly yes, that's correct yeah yeah so what were the first couple of games that you played on that atari when it came home gosh uh well i think we had the ste discovery pack which included indiana jones and the last crusade uh it included a game that was a sort of defender clone that i can't remember the name of and then it also had a a game by Epics, I think, called uh, Superbikes, which is just a motorbike racing game. So one of the first games I had on the Atari ST was a racing game, but as it happens, it was a motorbike racing game rather than a car racing game, which is more my my speed these days. But um, yeah, that was the that was the thing I remember sitting on my dad's lap playing Atari ST games um, that that came bundled with the the Atari STE, and then I mean. I don't know if you remember much about the era of the Atari ST and the Amiga, but there were a lot of um, less than legit sort of floppy disks flying around with all sorts of video games on that were sort of shared between friends who also had the the PC and stuff. So, um, so yeah, I played a lot of stuff on there. Um, we did buy games as well, but um, there were also a lot of a lot of copied floppies. I wouldn't know anything about any <laughs> of that. I mean, you wouldn't steal a car. No, you wouldn't download a a meal or whatever they say (laughs) (laughs) so you had those early games and also i think i saw a picture of you online somewhere a very very young tiny mike with a toy car i think it was on the time extension article that you did or an interview that you did so i'm just wondering where did your love of cars begin how did that happen before video games or was it around the same time or after? I mean, I always, like as a kid, had lots of sort of toy cars. That was one of my favorite things to play with. And and so that was obviously 
a very early sort of memory and and also just kind of bits of motorsport that would be on um when i was a kid like the grand prix on a sunday or you know they used to show a lot of like top gear rally report used to be on you know they they'd they'd show the the lombard rac rally and or you know various rally coverage stuff and so i loved all that stuff i had a model of the lancia delta which would later go on to appear in sega rally and uh and but it, I think games and, and my interest in cars have always been like really intertwined because I loved racing games. And so via racing games, I would learn about different types of racing. And then I'd kind of be curious about seeking those out or finding the toys of them. And, and it would just it all kind of swirled around to the point where I was interested in sort of both racing and and video games to the point where I think I've said this previously, but just after I was at uni, I had the, the option of either going and sort of pursuing a career in motorsport journalism or pursuing a career in video games and in the end i picked sort of video games as a kind of i guess more sort of mainstream thing you know like motorsport was prestigious i guess but it's still kind of a niche or it was a niche at the time in terms of the the, the motorsport press so um so i went and did video game stuff as well but i've always kept a keen interest in cars and motor racing and and i obviously love my racing games two-part question what was your first racing game mm. and what was the first racing game you were really good at what was my first racing game well that, that motorbike one aside and that was because the st was the first co- you know computer we had that that really will have been the first one i ever owned but the ones i have early memories of are um supercars 2 which was uh amazing really good t- top-down racing game with added missiles and things and Lotus Turbo Challenge, I think, was the other one that, you know, the original Lotus Turbo, Turbo Challenge. So between those two, like one of them was sort of rear on view, one of them was top down. Those were just both brilliant, both published by Gremlin Graphics, as I recall. Um, both brilliant Atari ST racing games, and and I spent a lot of time on those, definitely. You mentioned Top Gear already, and obviously it's a good chunk of the reason we're here talking today. What was your relationship with Top Gear like growing up? I mean, you mentioned Top Gear Rally, but also... There are two very distinct eras of Top Gear. There's the original show that ran until 99 with Quentin Wilson, Steve Berry, obviously Clarkson and stuff like that. And then there's the reboot that came after most of the original crew went off to do Fifth Gear. When Were you watching it in that original run? Yeah, I was there at the early the early William Willard period of the... Um of the show yeah i really i very strongly remember that sort of original theme music and some of the really boring segments they do where they go to some like car show at the birmingham nec and they'd look at like plastic things you can stick on 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 your car and stuff it was just it it, it was it was a much more boring show but it when i was a kid it was you know a thing about cars and so i would sit and watch it like any kid who liked cars might do and uh but then yeah i think the the introduction of top gear uh, as it was in sort of 2001, 2002, the, the rebooted version. I think that was a, a real eye-opener in terms of, and I think there's a lot of parallels with with Games Master, right, in terms of the way cars could be presented on television and taking a sort of entertainment first rather than an information first approach. Like the previous version of Top Gear was very, you know, information first. It was like buying advice and, you know, road tests were designed to help you decide whether you wanted to buy the new Montego or whatever. Whereas the the rebooted one was like, all right, well, we all love cars. We know we love cars and we might do a review, but also we're we're an entertainment show and we're we're designed to entertain. And it was the same with Games Master. You know, it was it was all right, there were reviews and stuff, but it was all about the the challenges and the features for me, really. So I think you know, in the same way that I, I think I, I said at sort of great length in our previous appearance on this 
podcast that games master really informed the way i we we make content on outside xbox at least from my perspective in terms of like entertainment first it's always going to be about the jokes it's always going to be about that stuff first and foremost and if people learn a little thing or two along the way then all the better and i think top gear is a bit of that as well but i I would say it being a much bigger and much bigger budget show that was the kind of dream and i think you know when i talk back about that that sort of period where we were all trying to make gaming video content and stuff the thing that was bandied around more than anything else was like who's going to make the top gear of gaming because that was seen as the sort of like you know if you really came up with these creative ideas and you took gaming which is something that is sort of enormously popular and you really blew the creativity and and budget out out of the water what could you what could you make and what could it be as big as top gear and so that's why it was quite nice to kind of come around to the point where top gear was making a an official branded gaming show and it was a privilege to to be involved with that basically because it's something people have been talking about making for for years and years and years and you know we certainly didn't have the budget of the um tv show i think that's fairly obvious but i think with what budget we did have we made uh we made a pretty fun show because the top gear gaming show kind of led off existing work for you for top gear because, uh, I mean, you were working, obviously, for outside Xbox at that point because you started with Top Gear early 2015, I think, the mm-hmm. writing for the website, at least, mainly yep. gaming-related articles. How did you end up kind of crossing that bridge? The the genesis of the um, the Top Gear writing for the website thing, the short version is that I went on a press trip for a game called Colin McRae Dirt 2, and it was a really, really cool press trip. This was back when I was working for Official Xbox magazine. That was like uh, sort of the height of that series' popularity. I think the Dirt series' popularity. And it was the height of their association with Ken Block, who is now obviously sadly departed. But at the time, Ken Block was, you know, making huge waves with the Jim Carner videos. He was, you know, bringing Rallycross to America uh, via the X Games. And so when Dirt 2 came out, we were invited out to the X Games in Los Angeles. Ken Block took out an entire downtown hotel uh, called The Standard. And all the guests at that hotel were guests of him and Monster Energy and all his sponsors, DC Shoes. And as part of that, you know, we, a few sort of gaming related people were over as guests of Codemasters who were making the game with Ken Block. And on that trip, uh, there happened to be a um, a chap called Sam Phillip, who is a fantastic writer. Like, he's one of the best writers the Top Gear magazine and website have ever had, you know, have ever had. And he was there and we got, you know, got chatting and got kind of matey and kept in touch basically afterwards. And, and you know, we joke around on Twitter and things like that. Um, and then eventually he sort of messaged me in, in 2015 and said, look, we want to do more regular gaming stuff on the website do you want to do you want to do it you seem to know what you're doing yeah and and we think you can write to the kind of top gear style and it's been yeah eight years i guess now that i've been writing for them um it's always been a sort of side thing it's not really uh it's not it's not my priority obviously my priority is is outside xbox but i've always enjoyed writing for top gear i've always loved the brand so it's it's always been nice to to do a bit of, and nice to do a bit of writing that isn't a sort of video scripts writing uh exercise so so yeah you can you can catch my stuff uh in both the magazine and on the website um fairly regularly uh, i do a retro racing column for the um 
for the magazine that I thoroughly enjoy writing. And I do a sort of game review every month as well for the mag. And then I do other bits and bobs for the, for the website as well. It was just pure coincidence that I ended up on this trip with this guy from Top Gear and we ended up getting friendly. And that's how I, I sort of got my foot in the door there. But that, that relationship absolutely meant that when you know Top Gear were talking about making an online gaming show with, with Facebook... I was the first person they sort of came to to say, not necessarily to host it, but just to say, what should this be? You know, who should we get to make this? Do you want to make this? And I said, no, I'm a bit too busy making a YouTube channel to make it myself, but here are some people who would do a great job. And it was only later down the line then that that I sort of was in contention for the for the actual hosting job. Because something we noticed, and we only really noticed it when we actually started to look at the timelines, is at the time this episode was broadcast... Uh, or rather released into the wild on on Facebook, we were just having our first sit-down with the showrunner of Games Master, which, of course, was also Meta slash Facebook. So they were really getting some fingers in some pies in the kind of like the gaming video content world there because here they are involved with a long-running, very well-respected, very well-established brand, both online, on television, and in print, like Top Gear. And then over on the other side... They're kind of trying to get involved in bringing back a quote unquote video game television legend. I think the this sort of the approach vector is probably slightly different for what we were doing because I think the priority with the Top Gear Gaming Show was I think Facebook what Facebook really wanted was some some beloved BBC brands and they wanted some content from those. So Top Gear was obviously one of those big BBC brands that they wanted to be involved with and gaming was just sort of one strand of the things they wanted to do and actually not even the most successful one really they were doing a bunch of they did a uh, a I think they did like a dating show and they did one that was just the, I think the most popular one was just two guys cleaning extremely dirty cars and they were funny guys but that was the, that was the entire premise you know it was they cleaned some really gross cars and it got like millions of views and blew our fig- viewing figures out of the water. So like fair play to them. But um, I think they spread their bets a bit. But I think the route to the Top Gear gaming show existing was they wanted some BBC stuff on Facebook. And that, that was that was one of the things that, that was pitched and, and was accepted. So they spoke with you. You recommended a production company, a production crew, people to get behind the camera. Mm-hmm. But at some point, your name came up in regards to actually being one of the hosts. How was the audition process? Because obviously, not your first audition process, yeah. second Harry Potter film. Yes, yeah, yeah, you remembered. Um, yeah, I. so I. Um, my memory of the process was I did a, a sort of screen test thing, sort of recorded a little bit about, I think it was like a, you know, review a car or whatever. So I reviewed, you know, reviewed my car. And I did it in a very Top Geary style, probably more Top Geary than I ended up doing on the actual show. It felt like a sort of um, almost a, a, a Richard Hammond impression. After that process, then they knew they wanted a, a sort of male and a female presenter. And so they did these sort of, um, I think they did these like chemistry tests, basically, where uh, they, I would sit in with a bunch of you know, presenters who I knew and, and, you know, was familiar with already. And then we did some sort of back and forth and chatted about cars and joked around a bit. And and they just sort of saw, you know, uh, how well we worked together. And I think it went well with, with all of those those presenters, really, to be honest. But um, I've known Julia for a really, really long time. And I think we've got a bit of sort of plug and play uh, chemistry, basically. We, we get on really well. We have a similar sense of humor. 
we like to wind each other up a bit and i think that's uh, that's a really good starting point for for any kind of show so i think when when we got the show off the ground with with the pair of us it, it was it, we were just straight away and i you know this wasn't a you know particularly scripted show really to be honest it was a lot of just sort of on the fly kind of banter really and so yeah i think the fact that we could just the pair of us could just make fun of each other basically endlessly was uh was perfect for them i mean the chemistry is immediately there on the screen to the point where it's always difficult particularly when you're doing like short form video content like that and also you've got the weight of an existing brand but there's no real time to kind of do the setup of Mm. kind of introduce of like you know who mike is who julia is and and things like that to a complete new audience you don't need it with the way you guys bounce off each other because immediately the dynamic is there and how you also interact with your guests, particularly Simon, who bounces well off the, the two of you. I mean, obviously yep. you, you, did Simon know Julia as well or? Uh, I'm sure they've, I'm sure they'll have crossed paths a fair few times. Yeah. In, in sort of, like I say, it was all sort of a, a bit of a pool of, of people who were involved in video games around that time. So um, yeah, I mean, but then Julia's just brilliant with pretty much anyone really, to be honest. I mean, she can just sort of, wind her up and off she goes in terms of uh, in terms of presenting she's a much more capable presenter than i am certainly much more sort of professional and she's able to to riff on on just about anything and 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 sort of get the best out of out of guests and stuff so even if she didn't know miller she probably it was like she'd known him for 100 years so so you've got yourself you've got your production crew you've got your host you've got a list of guests what was the actual filming and production like? Because also this would have been filming at a point in the world which could be described as slightly tumultuous. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So we shot, uh, I think we shot April 2021, was that? Yeah, yeah. 2021, two years ago. So what we did was we came in for a single day of shooting and we filmed the first episode, which was the Outrun one. And we took a day to do that one. They got all the lighting sorted and it was quite chilled and quite relaxed. But then after that, the the way it was designed was it was just going to be an extremely compressed shoot. So we actually shot an episode every half day for a week, basically, to cover off the rest of the things. And then we had a few inserts. You know, we obviously... Uh, at one point in the series, we went out and saw some drone racing going on. Another one, we were playing sort of remote control car rocket league in a in a school gym and and stuff like that. So there were these additional shoots for stuff that would be slotted in. But ultimately, the bulk of the shooting was done over the course of a single week in the middle of the sort of COVID lockdowns and stuff. So it was bizarre. It was a bizarre situation because we were staying in a you were allowed to stay in a hotel if you were working, but you know there was no one around and. The, all the restaurants were shut you could get delivery food so I would, I would basically get back to my hotel order some like delivery food and then then just sort of fall asleep exhausted from a day of like intense shooting and then wake up and do it all over again so yeah it was it was strange it was a very very strange situation it's always an awkward one to to bring up but was there a lot of facebook money involved or was this a case of shoestrings are us i don't think there was loads i mean i wasn't party to you know not being part of the production company i wasn't party to the sort of overall budget but my understanding was it was modest i think how it looks how the show looks how beautifully it's shot and beautifully it's lit and how creatively it's put together um i think that that sort of actually belies probably the fact that it was you know it was it was not a big budget thing really to be honest i mean i'm sure overall they were spending a lot of money but they're spending it on also the dating show and the washing cars show and all this stuff so we got our slice but i think a lot of stuff like getting cars in 
like the uh, DeLorean and the Ferrari Testarossa, a lot of that was, as far as I understand it, calling in favors, you know, the production company calling in favors and, you know, talking to people and just trying to get some interesting, interesting stuff in in the studio. So um, I'm super proud of what we achieved on, on basically not very much money. I mean, it looks slick. But also it's got that lovely look, which um, Video Game Nation actually has in a bunch of its stuff, which is because nothing's tried to be done with like crazy angles or any gimmicks that are very much of their time. It's got a nice timeless feel to it. Like someone will come to an episode of Top Gear Gaming in two, three, four years time. And other than the published date, that's the only thing that will really give it away because there's nothing in there that screams 2021. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, it was it was it was very sensibly sort of shot and very you know i think it's just uh it was just very well put together i think the guys who did it a company called special gun just did a great job i think that's the foundation stuff it's like you can like you say you can do all the arty fancy stuff but if it doesn't fundamentally look pretty you know nicely shot well lit then you're wasting your time you know so um i i thought it it was one of the best looking things i've ever been involved with and that's testament to those those guys um who who yeah just did a really good job Obviously, you have the star in the reasonably stationary car, but also you had a mix of more arcadey type games, and in the case of the episode we just did, augmented reality. How how was the balance struck? Because obviously, this is Top Gear, this is Top Gear, and it's motorsports, and it's even when it's more variety show days, it's still all about cars and performance. But also, you've got Mario Kart. Was it a conscious decision to try and strike a balance and not go all one way or the other, or was it just how the cards fell? I think more, uh, the priority more than having new games on per se, and I think we had Watch Dogs Legion was like the newest game we had on the on the show at the time. The, the goal was to have a really broad church in terms of what what is a racing game, you know, and what and so we we had those. You know, if you think about the classic racing games, Mario Kart is one of those. Outrun is one of those, and you know, to a degree, Wipeout is one of those. You know, it's a it's a classic racing game. All right, it doesn't have any wheels in it. It is a sort of like of its time. You know, the kind of PlayStation era rave culture sort of thing. It was a it was a sort of seminal moment, and I, I think they, you know, it was the production company who decided on the on the themes for the episodes. But um, I think they took a, a similar approach to what I do with my well, my retro column in Top Gear magazine, which is like. Is it a meaningful racing game? If so, it's got it's got a place there, basically. So, um, so yeah, they picked the iconic stuff, and and with a with a sort of you know there was a new game in there, token sort of new game, but by and large, it was just about hey, look, this is a celebration of racing games as a whole, and that includes Mario Kart. You know, we've all played it, we all love it, um, even if it's not a sort of serious simulator, for example, and that applies to the stuff we write on the on the website and the magazine as well. How much input did you have into the actual choice of games or subject matters? Were you kind of more involved in that side of things or were you mainly there to present? I was shown the the sort of plan ahead of time and they sort of said, you know, does this look okay? But, you know, it all looked absolutely fine to me. You know, I, I kind of, I understood the the thought process behind which games they chose and yeah, it all totally made sense. But for, to a degree, for me, it was a sort of refreshing experience because, you know, when we're on outside Xbox, we're we're sort of coming up with the video concepts, we're writing the scripts, we're you know recording them, we're then capturing the footage, and we're editing it together, and all that that entire process is kind of owned by us and and is our responsibility. Whereas for me, with this, it was it was great because I was a I was a presenter, right? And all right, I had to 
in theory, I was writing the script on the fly with Julia in that we were just, it, we were sort of riffing on ideas that were sort of tossed to us. But by and large, you know, I was able to just show up in the morning and have one job rather than like eight jobs. And and so to a degree, it was it was a real luxury for me to be able to just show up and, and concentrate on the performance and the presenting um, and not worry too much about how it's all going to fit together and whether this is going to work in the edit and actually do we need to sort this out. So yeah, it was a, it was a very different vibe from the outside Xbox stuff, which is really we're we're sort of involved at every part of the process. Whereas with this, you know, all right, I got to nod through the the choice of games, but I didn't have to sit down and scratch my head and think about what each of those shows was going to be about. That was fortunately someone else's job, and I I got to just show up and be a diva. <laughs> I wasn't a diva, I promise. If you could have injected a game if you could have inserted a game that wasn't on that list that didn't appear in the original run what game would you have chosen Mm, this feels greedy because outrun was already in there but um daytona usa is still my absolute favorite uh i think i you know of those sort of iconic racing games i think that's the one where i would have loved for us to be able to drag a daytona you know arcade machine into that studio and and do something with that um it's probably one of those things that we were like well we'll do it in season two if it ever happens and it has never happened and is unlikely to ever happen obviously you had quite a broad spectrum of guests we've already just talked about simon miller you mentioned gav murphy without asking you to pick your favorite child (laughs) who who was your favorite guest purely from an interactions point of view and maybe the challenges and antics you got up to that's a really good question I, 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 yeah, it's, it is really difficult to pick. I mean, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed working with Miller because at the time I hadn't seen him probably since the, we, we talked about the racing thing. So that was a real treat. I've known Gav for years, you know, love him to bits. Um, Alicia is really, really nice and she was really good fun. Um, yeah, it's, it's really tricky to, to pick. I, I, you know, what was a treat for me actually was, was, um, chatting to the chap who plays Del Boy in the Only Fools and, horses uh musical his name's tom Mm. uh and he it was really interesting him coming along and and talking about something completely different because he was the one who's from sort of outside my sphere really and he was chatting about the experience of being an actor and and you know and driving the the reliant supervan on the stage and not crashing into the orchestra pit and stuff like that and so I wasn't sure what he was going to be like, you know, because you never know when you're, you know, when you're with a bunch of mates who you've known from video games forever, they're kind of a known quantity. You know, they you're going to instantly be able to get on with them. But when Tom showed up, he was uh, absolutely lovely. And I, I wasn't sure if he was going to be, you know, like I just I, I, not even not even a diva, but just used to something a little more structured and less chaotic. But he was well up for a really good laugh and pretty good in the sim as well. So there you go. What was your favourite thing that happened like behind the scenes or maybe slightly off camera or happened on camera, but it was just a case of, no, that's never going in the final edit? (laughs) Um, Probably Julia um, basically uh, molesting the Ferrari Testarossa and (laughs) being told to cool it, uh, which was pretty entertaining, to be honest. We did get to, we got to sit in that Ferrari Testarossa. I don't think it's not in the show that we, that we sat in it, but we sat in it and took some, um, we had those sort of, outrageous like hawaiian shirts and sunglasses and stuff and so we took some sort of miami vice style uh pictures in the ferrari testarossa which was a real treat this is the first time i'd ever sat in a ferrari testarossa which was my sort of dream car as a kid so that was a, a real moment actually uh, everything inside it was exactly as i hoped it would be it's extremely 80s so to pick up on a couple of things from the episode that we 
just covered. Basically, I made a few notes as we were going through the discussion thinking, going to ask Mike about that when we talk with him. Sure. Uh, so the first one was the uh, the Mario Kart weight, the mm-hmm. uh, the very, very custom and high budget Mario Kart 8 yep. controllers, definitely not a couple of Joy-Cons strapped to some <laughs> to some flat weights. At no point did it look like you were struggling. Like even when you said you were struggling, I was just looking going, is he though? <laughs> I surprised myself, I must admit, with my uh, my endurance. I didn't super struggle with the first one at all. I think for some reason I was just... I don't know if it's because I've done go-karting where the steering's quite heavy or because I've done climbing where you use your forearms quite a lot or whatever, or whether it was as Julia suggested, I just had my daughter the the year before. And so I'd spent a lot the last year in lockdown, lifting up a baby and putting it in a cot and take, you know, and all that stuff. Uh, and that was, that was Julia's theory was that I'd, I'd, I'd got some like dad strength or something, but yeah, I the the 2.5 kilo, I actually didn't struggle with it at all. Even though I've got the world's skinniest arms, I was sort of fine with that one. The five kilo one, that was that was more difficult, definitely. That was a bit more I could feel my like chin compressing into my my sort of neck as I sort of wrestled to keep that thing up in the air. I really love seeing the Mario Kart um house live. I forget what it's called. The augmented reality Mario Home Kart. Home circuit, yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause that is the first time I've seen it set up, I think, as it was intended to be set up. I've seen yeah. the adverts, but that's not real. I've seen YouTube videos, but as you mentioned, the whole average living room size thing. But I'm kind of curious because there was a lot of work that went into setting that up. There were light tubes, there were cars, and I was kind of expecting there to be a race. We only had one of them, I think, is the problem. So, um, Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I don't know that we had... We only had the one car, as I recall. I think because we'd already done the weight challenge, that was the sort of... That was like the challenge race aspect of the of the show and i think the structure was sort of interview race challenge and then like feature i guess you know like a a sort of more informative and so i think because it was the it was just us talking about the the technology it wasn't we never had a challenge specifically for that um i suppose if it had been a longer show we probably would have we probably would have made that into a challenge as well it would create sort of ai um, things projected onto the augmented reality stuff for you to race against. So we could have done it, um, definitely. But I think it was just the structure of the show was like interview section, challenge, and then and then feature. I mean, obviously, like in the actual finished product, it's mainly Julia that's uh, seen driving the cart. Did you all get to have a go? Did you all get to try the course and do a lap? Yeah, we while they were setting up and getting the lighting right and stuff, we were just mucking about, as you might be, might expect, you know. Um, yeah, it was, it was really good fun. Like you say, it's that concepts um fulfilling its potential because if you try and play it in like my house there's not enough room to to build a a sort of decent circuit you just end up with a circle in the middle of a very small living room so yeah it's definitely built for those sort of palatial american homes where they they have a surface of space but um but yeah for one shining afternoon or morning i can't remember which one it was uh we got to um we got to play a full sort of mario kart home circuit circuit and it was pretty good I can see one of them in my local computer shop. It's used for 50 quid and I keep thinking, do I get it? Yeah, I've I've got one now and um, I've used it like once. I genuinely had to run it out of our living room, into the hallway, out into the kitchen, round the table leg and then back to, just to make anything like a, a sort of decent sized course. The other thing is it really doesn't handle any kind of height difference whatsoever. Sort of like the original SES Mario Kart um, <laughs> with its Mode 7 technology. So you wouldn't be able to like run a ramp down some steps and it have it know what's going on. It would just get 
horribly, horribly confused. And, you know, once the novelty's worn off, it's not a great Mario Kart game. Do you know what I mean? It's not as good as just playing Mario Kart 8 on a really big TV. I think you'd have more fun doing that. So um, if I, hopefully I'm talking you out of spending that 50 quid because I think you'd probably try it once and then never touch it again. Don't worry. I'll waste that 50 quid on something else completely irrelevant good. that I also will not play. As long as it's being wasted, that's all I care about. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to put it into savings. <laughs> no. I'm not mad. Exactly. Now, we know from... Obviously, the episode where he mentions it and actually a message that uh, he sent to Luke that we spoke about earlier, that uh, Simon was working injured. He was recovering from, I think it was a rib surgery or something along those lines. How difficult was it to fit him into the reasonably stationary car? Because he didn't look like he had a lot of wiggle room. It was, yeah, it was not, it was not comfortable at all. Um, He's a large man and it was a modest sized uh play seat gaming rig and um yeah he was it felt like his knees were up by his ears and he just got enormous feet and you know he he was basically spilling out over the sides of it it was it looked comical to be honest he looked like he was driving a little noddy car around <laughs> he struggled to get in he he struggled to clamber in and I'd probably struggled even more to clamber back out again so when the top gear gaming show came out I guess, what were your expectations? What were you expecting to happen? What were you expecting the reaction to be? Were you happy, sad? I think, well, the first thing to say is that, like, I was super proud of everything we produced. Like, I think the show itself is good. Like, fundamentally, I think it's good. I think it struggled a bit I th- for two reasons. One is that I think it was a, it was a little bit just, like, lost on Facebook. You know, like, at the time, Facebook's video platform was it was just really difficult to find stuff on it and and find you know the thing you'd want to watch and find it regularly whereas i think the youtube algorithm was already by that point pretty pretty honed i think secondly the top gear audience is is brilliant obviously um but i think at, at the time there was still that sort of fallout from like the Jeremy Clarkson stuff and, you know, and so the, I, I think certain portions of the audience had kind of turned on, on the brand a little bit. And we're just sort of anytime anything was published, all there was in the comments was bring back Clarkson. This isn't as good as Clarkson and stuff like that. So the gaming content that we produce on the website and in the magazine, as far as I know is, is extremely well received People really really like it, and there are a lot of gamers out there who are also Top Gear fans. But for whatever reason, I think you know the the reaction was, I would say, more negative than positive, which was a shame because I think you know, like I say, I was extremely proud of what we produced. Everyone involved liked it a lot, you know, and we we had a lot of fun. There was a lot of you know authenticity and authentic joy in in the stuff we were doing there. We were having good fun making it, and I think for for the people who enjoyed it, you know, they that that fun came across and that the fun we had making it yeah it's it's a shame it didn't find a, a sort of wider or more, or more welcoming audience but um but i'm so proud of its existence and and yeah i, I you know I, I stand by what we did i think it's uh it's good stuff if it means anything we loved covering this episode it was oh, an good. absolute blast for us so hypothetical situation there is more top gear gaming maybe yes. it's coming back in a slightly different form and you have a slightly more creative role. Sure. Is there anything from your work on Outside Xbox and Outside Extra that you would like to introduce to Top Gear Racing or vice versa, anything you did as part of Top Gear 
gaming that you would like to introduce to outside Xbox or outside Extra? One of the things that we've done on outside Xbox in the past, and this again hasn't been necessarily organized by us, but if you look back to one of the, I think one of the best videos we've ever done still uh, was was a, an organized event by the people who made the Hitman game and they recreated sort of Hitman in real life and we were playing as the sort of handlers, the Dianas, um, and guiding a real-life actor playing Agent 47 around a mansion. And it was this beautiful, intricate, like, clockwork machine of sort of actors and staging and props and all sorts. And it was so brilliantly thought out. And I think, you know, if we had, let's say, unlimited budget to do a sort of Top Gear gaming show, I think the real dream, and I think the dream that still is, I guess, up for grabs, is that I think the thing Top Gear did was was sort of, that sense of adventure and that sense of a big challenge and a big like novelty video essentially and we did our best with sort of the challenges and things but they were all pretty much studio bound you know kind of very restricted by what we could achieve with the budget but if you had unlimited budget you should be out there recreating sega rally or you know you should be trying to do a loop in a car like in Trackmania or something you know something that was br- that would bring games into reality and i think that's what when people said uh oh, they should make a Top Gear, but for video games, I don't think what they were talking about was Mike and Julia should be in a studio chatting about video games with the name Top Gear on it. What they're really talking about is like there should be a big budget games show that 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 makes that connection between real life and video games. And any situation where we get to on outside Xbox connect video games to a sort of real life experience adventure novelty thing um i think those videos always come out really really well and to a degree this is the sort of challenge stuff as well we did a video where we were trying to play video games with a guitar hero controller that did really really well and it was a kind of fun challenge based sort of thing so i think that's where i take it probably you know try and try and do what what people want from a top gear of gaming which is like go out into the real world have people who have a good relationship with each other and can joke around with each other and and do some big stunty stuff you know i think that's something people often forget when they say top gear but for gaming which is actually a good part of what made top gear and what still makes top gear is the relationship between the hosts and also i think a lot of them forget that like particularly when they think of i guess the classic era of top gear um well the new classic era so hammond may and clarkson is those first couple of seasons were really rough. I mean, Hammond, I mean, there was one po- one host that got replaced. He got replaced by May. Mm. And and Hammond almost got fired as well within the first two seasons because it was just considered to be not working. Yeah. Thankfully, you knew, Julia, there was a natural dynamic there. You can't manufacture that. Yeah. that That is a mistake that a lot of shows make. I, I think that's, that's why Julia and I were hired in the end was that Top Gear is all about chemistry and and to 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 have a sort of plug and play chemistry rather than trying to do an entire first season of the Top Gear gaming show and and only towards the end of the season to have the two hosts kind of comfortable with taking the mickey out of each other whereas Julia and I arrived and we were already taking the mickey out of each other so it was it was sort of fine so yeah that I think was definitely a consideration that that sort of chemistry as as a key component of what what Top Gear is whether or not the audience sort of warmed to that chemistry as much as as you know their beloved Clarkson Hammond and May it you know I, I think we did a good job with that stuff and and as you say if we'd had more time with it maybe it would have grown gotten better and and more interesting and stuff but you know it's it's fine I'm I'm still super proud of 
that I did it. I'm, I, you know, in theory, I can say I'm a Top Gear presenter, which you know, still a fairly rarefied bunch. Yeah, I, I like what I like the show. I think if people are listening to this and haven't seen it, I don't know, have, have a crack at it. You might enjoy it. It's, it's sort of like you say, it's not, it's not really like current or newsy. It's more just sort of here are racing games. We love them. You know, here's a, a wide variety of them, and we'll do some stupid challenges around them. And um, and Julia and Mike will wind each other up. Mike, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for coming back on the show. It was so nice to have you back on to talk about something that's in your wheelhouse and not just a series of kids being increasingly beaten up by a Japanese man in Virtua Fighter 3. <laughs> well, that's my, that's my wheelhouse as well. Um, not necessarily kids being beaten up, but certainly fighting games. But yes, no, thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure hanging out with you guys. And um, yeah, yeah, anytime, anytime you see my face and want to talk about it, I'll come, and, I'll come back and uh, give you the insight scoop but i'm sure if people are listening to this they know your name they know your voice they already know where to find you but just in case where can people find a mike chanel online and what is a mike chanel doing um so the easiest place to find me is at youtube.com slash outside xbox which is our youtube channel where we do our very best to keep the spirit of games master and top gear alive uh by talking nonsense playing video games having fun and yeah we make we make all sorts of videos over there there's some great stuff over there if you enjoy good chemistry between your presenters i think you know andy jane and i have been doing this for a very long time we're very good friends and we we like making jokes so it's that sort of thing um over on youtube we'd love you to come and check it out um particularly if you're a a connoisseur of this fine podcast we'd love to have you huge thank you uh, as always to to mike for for coming on to the show being back on the show again to talk about his time working on the top gear gaming show and it's kind of like nice to hear sort of the two different sides really because he came on the show originally just as a fan of games master and for us to just talk about you know one of his favorite episodes or one of his favorite games but this one was actually like but you did one of these shows. Now tell me about that. Yeah, it was great catching up with him, great hearing what insight he had, what his feelings were. And, you know, as he said at the end, anytime his face appears on screen, he's more than happy to come and talk to us. (laughs) Next week, we begin our start on the journey, I feel like this is the Michael McGillicay promo, of uh, the the genesis, the beginning. Uh, We're going to start our journey into Series 8 slash Games Master Reboot. We finally arrived at our destination. The sat-nav did take us on a few little detours along the way, but... We took the scenic route. We certainly did, but we have arrived at our destination. It is on the left, and next week sees the start of the Series 8 finale to this podcast. Unless, of course, they end up doing Series 9. They've got about two months. <laughs> They've got about two months to kind of like quickly green light this stuff. And then we don't need to stop. 
Yeah. We, we, believe me, if there's one thing we've learned how to do over the past three years, it's how to tread water while waiting for them to get their <laughs> shit together on a new series of Games Master. I'm sure we can find some Games Master. We'll do every issue of Games Master magazine in the, the lead up to, <laughs> to get to this point. But, but every remaining issue between when Games Master finished and when they stop publishing it. Oh, yeah. And I guarantee you there'll be people who will hear that and be like, oh, that's a great idea. I, I think you guys should do that. If someone's willing to find all the magazines, I've already got a hundred of these magazines sat at home that I need to work out what I'm going to do with now. Pulp it. Burn it. <laughs> really put an end to this podcast. Like, it'll be like the end of Return of the Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> or you get like the end of Last Jedi. The sacred texts! <laughs> Burn them all. <laughs> anyway, thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. If you want to find us on social media, we are on Twitter at UnderConsolePod, on Instagram and threads at Under.Console. And you can send an email to feedback at UnderConsultation.com. And if you want to chat with us in real time, join us, join other listeners, other fans of Games Master, gaming, television, video games, pop culture, movies, all that good jazz... You can do so over on our Discord, details of which can be found in the show notes and on social media. And if you want to see how bad a games player I actually am, you can find me regularly over on twitch.tv forward slash under console pod. And if you want to support this podcast monetarily, we are over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod, where at the five pound level, you'll get next week's episode one week early and ad free. And at the 10 pound level, you get your name read out in the comments like these fine folk, Adam D, Adam Warrington, Andrew Greenwood, Andy Smith, Arcadia Wild Bill, Chris Price, Chrissy Two Six, Colin, David Palmer, Gordon Aiken, Gordon Brands, Gordon Dempster, Harriet Mangagel, I am Cheadle, Ian Roberts, Ian Williams, Jamie Smith, Joe McGonagall, Joe Mitchell, Kevin Kylie, Lawrence Link, Mark, Matthew Boo, Misha, Nick, Phil, Retro Fun for Everyone, Reese. Rich, Richard Downer, Richard Major, Sean Salinas, Simon, Super Sexy Dave Fisher, The Amazing Cliff, Tom Dylan McEvoy, Tom S. Cott, William Cottingham, Xanderthal, and Zach. We will see you in seven days' time as our voyage to Series 8 re-begins. Take care, everyone. Good night. Re-begins. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.